to Sunglasses at Night podcast. It is the decade wrap for the 2010s, the last full decade that we have experienced. It sure is. Uh, this is the podcast where normally we look back through the, the number one hits of an entire year through the lens of the ARIA charts, uh, Australian Recording Industry Association charts. But uh, when we get to the end of the decade, we do a wrap and not an actual wrap, although, you know, look out. If I have another one of these beers, I might bust one out later on. Oh, but, one um, will hope so. Right. <laughs> For the moment, let's stick to a wrap in the sense of looking at the decade as a whole and going back through some of the highlights and lowlights of the decade. You say that I'm not going to do an actual wrap, I think, every <laughs> decade wrap. Um, this is like one of those things where it's going right. to get unfunny and then it'll get funny I'll make again. A, so, I'll, make no, a, I'll make a note here. Next next no, year, I'll make, I'll make a joke about a KFC we have to um, wait, salad wrap. We have to wait seven years for the next <laughs> decade wrap because we've caught... Actually, no, that's not true. We can, we can travel back in time and look at the years pre-ARIA charts um, that we've not done yet because there's so many hits there. There um, sure are. There's a lot more hits in the 70s than there were in this decade, I can tell you what. Uh, I don't know. This has to be... Without doubt, was it the worst? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to actually ask the question. Just definitively <laughs> say this is the worst decade for popular music that we've had to look at so far. I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with. Yep. Like, the 80s was interesting. Mm. The 90s was great. The aughts was a bit desolate, but there was a lot of random shit flying around. But this, yeah, I've got to say, so far... I'm not necessarily saying that that means that modern music sucks more than old music. No. But it's just... You know, you've got to, if you want to have high points, you've got to have low points too. And it does seem like this last decade was a bit of a bit of a lull, at least in charts. Oh, sense, for sure. At least in the, t- the top of the charts. Let me just say a great big world featuring Christina Aguilera say something. Now, that's, <laughs> if you can return your, turn your mind back to that song, that. that sort of sums up the decade for me. Mm. Just bland, boring, horseshit. Yeah. But look... There was some highlights in there, I think. Sure. The, the occasional track um, that you know got us pumped up. And look, we'll be talking about a couple of things today that don't really fall within the realms of uh, what we usually cover. Mm. A couple, bit of stats and some awards at the end, Tom. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely right, absolutely. Um, cool, so what, what do you want to start with? You got something to start with? Or you um, want me to I was just going to have a you know a general look at the decade overall mm. but if you want to do some stats or whatever first look at some stats real quick and out. then we can do that so as we do every year um sorry every time we do the rap for the decade 10 years there were 136 unique songs yep which is a little bit less i think than last decade they yes. got about 150 the other decade so a few less songs and that can be explained by the fact that there are a couple of songs that were number one for fucking ever. There so, sure were. Uh, the longest was, of course, Tones and I at 24 weeks, which is still completely insane to me. But Record. For half a calendar year. So that's that's basically, what, um, 5% of the decade it was a number <laughs> one. So that was insane. 90 unique artists. So, mm-hmm. yep. Rihanna, she had six 
number ones wow. in the decade. She was the leader on that front. A um, couple of those were duets with Eminem, I think. She had six mm. all up, and two, I she believe, did. were, were yep. Eminem duets. So, as I mentioned, Tones and I was at the top for 24 weeks. Um, one week, there were 39 songs that were there for one week. Two weeks, there were 24 songs, and three weeks, 17, and then, you know, I won't go through all of them, but yep. effectively, the median was about three weeks. So, yep. between okay. two and three weeks. One hit wonders, Tom. Um, 35 of the songs were from One Hit Wonders, which is about a quarter, and the other 75% were reoccurring hit makers. Oh, okay. People that had more, and by hit, I define that as if you've had, you know, more than one number one song or another top 10 hit, basically. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people that sort of, um, so by that definition, unfortunately, Tones and I isn't a one-hit wonder. I know that she she is, really, but she had another top 10 hit, so oh, I had to okay. exclude her from one-hit wonder category. Mm. Um, most popular genre was, I think, I just had straight pop at 35%. So some of these genres are a little bit difficult to classify. Yeah, definitely. So um, country pop, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dance pop. And electropop was sort of the same thing. Folk, we had more folky sort of numbers. So 10 songs in there. So 6% of the songs were folk. Uh, pop rap, there's not really any, apart from that Childish Gambino song, which is more like a proper rap. There wasn't a lot of straight rap, you know, sort of no, more like no, poppy rap no. with like... Um, but, a, but the thing is that hip hop sort of has, by this point, become almost... It is. The popular music. Exactly. Or at least, so even what I would have just thought as normal pop, which back in my old person brain, is you say normal pop music, the first thing that pops in my head is Kylie Minogue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just a style of music that is not any genre in particular other than just trying to be popular. That, if that style has become so heavily influenced by hip-hop, then, you know... I think, yeah, yeah, I had straight pop as sort of... um, pop songs that didn't have any rapping in them but then a lot of the but then you know about 20% of them were basically just rap songs with poppy chorus um, you yeah, know I, I think I tried yes. to differentiate that from or someone like rap. Ariana Grande where she's not rapping but she's yeah. so heavily influenced by hip hop that it, she's basically trying to almost rap it yeah, exactly so singing. yeah so look most popular the genre is just yeah, pop or pop rap combined I guess dance pop as well as pretty popular soft rock not as not as popular these days, but there's still a, a bit of bullshit in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Seventy-eight of the songs, which is over fifty percent, were from the USA. Yeah. So fifty-five percent, and then fifteen percent were from Australia, fifteen percent from the UK. So those three countries make up eighty-five percent: Australia, UK, and USA. And then a couple of tracks from Canada, Ireland, Barbados, which is Rihanna, yeah. uh, Jamaica, France. Um, I think David Guetta I think might have featured in there New Zealand Denmark the Virgin Islands let's not forget uh, no. there was some guy from the Virgin Islands um, some trash pop dude I've forgotten Sweden Puerto Rico and South Korea so, being, sorry how many were Australian? Um, 22 so about 15% that's we've had more than that yep. from before exactly yeah. so I think America dominated the charts this time wow yeah they most popular do. type was solo male this time I think okay. I think last decade solo female was yes. the most popular so we had more solo male it's weird because the 
the the big name artists are still mostly yeah. Women. I think that had but a like, bit to do with like Ed Sheeran probably had like five. Yeah, and that's then, true. You know, like a bunch of other five. Maybe their <laughs> their reach is not necessarily reflected. Like you could you could make a pretty good argument that the biggest pop star in the world at the moment is Beyonce. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of just the, the sheer Michael Jackson spectacleness of her, but. That is not reflected in number one hits. No. As you say, Rihanna's had more than her in the last decade. Yeah. Like, but, there's yeah. a fair... F- you know, like, for example, you know, you're going to get a you know a couple of tracks from Bruno Mars, you know, Drake had a bunch. Yeah. Oh, no, Ed Bieber. Sheeran had Bieber a bunch. So, doing stuff. So, yeah, yeah, a lot more flow rider. Don't forget that guy oh, popping up. How could I possibly forget? <laughs> uh, a, lot of, a lot of more solo. And also a couple of, like, one-hit wonder shitty... One, like solo dudes like George uh, Ezra, if you remember, Arby Rowden, Shotgun, and that sort of bullshit. So mm. yeah, more solo dudes showed up. Um, but yeah, no no charity singles made number one this time, which was thank fuck for that. But um, <laughs> and male groups were no. quite popular as well. Some things that we started out in the eighties are almost gone now. They things yep. like power ballads, charity singles, yeah, uh, big. Uh, movie songs yep you know you you still get the odd one but they have nowhere near the influence that they used to be yeah even like novelty songs even like wacky novelty songs used to pop up more in the 80s and 90s than they do now so that's it for the data so guess what if you had an archetype song it would be a solo male um, for three weeks at the top of the charts doing like a pop or a pop rap type song from either the USA, the UK or Australia. That's sort of like the most typical type of song. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, probably, you'd have to say probably a USA male solo pop piece of shit. So, um, yeah, but look, I I still can't believe that Tones and I are 24 weeks. That's insane. (laughs) It's pretty nuts. And that was like the year after the the previous two record breakers, which were Despacito and that fucking Ed Sheeran song, um, uh, the Shape of You, the shape of you yep. which were, they both broke the, you know, records for that as well. So the, the last three years of the decade were just giant song after giant song, which makes me wonder if that was just a, a fluke or whether yep. that's just the way that things are going to go in the charts now, just less artists doing longer stints at the top. As we said before, some people argue that the ch- charts now just don't really reflect the way that no, they no. used to, that they're just not equivalent to the way they were, but... I guess you got to fucking, you know, measure shit somehow. Yeah, I mean, if you look at those top weeks, like seven seven songs um, combined for a hundred weeks in the charts. So that's crazy. That's um, yeah. yeah. What's that? Hundred. Yeah. So basically, two full years. So twenty percent of the whole decade was taken up by seven songs. Yeah. Uh, all in dog but shit but they were good songs <laughs> they were that's true The Shape of You um, uh, and we should point out Tom that there's been some good news because that Shape of You trial finally wrapped up which is oh, yeah. we we're waiting we are waiting for that to finish before we did the podcast obviously so what was the verdict well Ed, Ed won it turns out oh, he didn't okay. rip the song off from um, mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye's estate or whatever. Yeah. But there was Despite one. the fact that he, on, live on stage several times, played medleys where yeah. he mashed the two songs Correct. together. Correct. He did do that. He did do that. Um, he did come out during the trial and say if he lost, he'd quit music forever. And goodness me, oh, I was really, really hoping that the jury would come down I, against him. But I was hopeful. Cooler heads I, prevailed. I saw a headline that said, uh, Sheeran demonstrates to courtroom on guitar difference between the songs and I thought, ah, oh, 
well, surely he's lost now because he's forcing people to listen to <laughs> his songs inside a locked room that they're not yeah. allowed to leave. Like, there's only one way this is going to go. But definitely, yeah, he must have been very convincing. If there was one artist that you would like to see sued on the basis <laughs> that if they lost the case, they would retire from music forever, who, who do you think would be for you to just be like, I want them out? Well, on a positive note, I'd say I wouldn't mind seeing uh, someone from... Uh, Freddie Mercury's estate have a go at Vanilla Ice because oh, yeah. he clearly first of all he clearly obviously did rip that thing off yep. and secondly I think at this point in his career it would be more helpful for Vanilla Ice oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know I don't think they're going to get much out of the proceeds of his latest no, home no. flipping reality TV <laughs> thing and I think yeah. the exposure he might get might be enough to kickstart a second phase of his musical yeah. career which could be the what 2020s music has been crying out for you know? absolutely look it's now that new metal's back could vanilla ice have a second stab at new metal he could or obviously as we've discussed Eurodance is oh, coming yeah, back untapped, he could yeah. be the guy at the back with the flavor saver doing the raps yeah you know i think his rapping skills were always pitched at about Eurodance level yeah absolutely you know? Look, here's a hot take for the podcast. I think his best material is ahead of him, Tom. So, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I yeah. think I think with him it could actually count as a bonus. Yeah. A, a lengthy court case where he got to be on TV a lot. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Because they was this. I hope it was televised. I hope that trial was televised. They do love. <laughs> they only tell. Sorry, they only televise things in America, like murder trials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seem completely ridiculous oh, to it's, me. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. But I guess if you can go into the open courtroom, why can't you just view it on TV? Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's it from Data, Tom. What would you like to advise? Oh, I was just going to... Uh, look, I know I say this every decade, but yep. in the 2010s, hip-hop officially became the biggest musical genre at the top of the charts when, by 2017, with the increase in streaming services influence over the Billboard charts... Uh, Forbes and SoundScan declared that rap music had become the most consumed genre in the US after four decades of consistent growth, officially surpassing rock and pop music, whatever those genres mm. mean. But I think the truth is to say that more like that rock and pop had just absorbed enough hip-hop that, that it started to sound like hip-hop and be recategorised in that yep. genre. But yeah, I mean, either way, when you listen to artists like Drake, Post Malone, Takeshi69, Wet Vagina or Young Fentanyl, it's easy to see why mainstream culture was ready to hear what these musicians had to say. Definitely. Finally, you know, and bring their influence into the Walmarts where it had already belonged. Yeah. Um, as we already know, the influence of Eurodance remains eternal. Yeah. Uh, with European producers like Max Martin, Shellback, Stargate, Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine reigning over the 2010s like pasty-faced uh, Scandinavian gods. And David Guetta as well. He's, he's, oh, keeping, yeah. he's keeping the Eurodance dream alive. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Katy Perry's teenage dream drew heavily from the Eurodance style and kicked off the decade by becoming the first album from a female artist in history to release five number one US singles. Ah. Uh, Euro producers and DJs like Guetta and Mark Ronson also influenced the work of other massive solo artists through the decade, like Rihanna, Lady Gaga and Kesha. Uh, some of the biggest selling songs of the decade, including Only Girl in the World and S&M by Rihanna, were strongly influenced by Eurodance, which led into the renaissance we're currently yep. experiencing Absolutely. with Beyonce's album Renaissance, which is <laughs> why she chose that title. 
I listened to Brave New World on the radio this morning. That's just a that could have been written in nineteen ninety five. It's a club thumper, Tom. It is. It is. Even just the keyboard, the synth sound yep. is just pure gritting. Uh, by twenty twelve, for example, a large number of songs at the top of the charts featured quintessential Eurodance elements such as retro synths, strong dance beat, female vocals in the choruses, and verses wrapped by people of mixed ability in questionable <laughs> hats. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, other big genres in the decade were trap, dancehall, reggaeton, and that bastard son of techno and pop rap, Hip House. Uh, <laughs> acts like Flow Rider, Pitbull, LMFAO, and the Black Eyed Fucking Peas uh, hunkered down over the first half of the 2010s and punched out hit after hit. Uh, in top 10 terms, I feel that the city of the decade was clearly Miami. Oh, that goes without saying. Uh, if not literally, then thematically. Yep. You know, a multicultural melange of all the loosest, trashiest elements from black, white, and Latino pop thrown into a computer by someone with a hilariously fake name, then just blasted out of a nightclub subwoofer at a volume that could kill an alligator. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just lazily, I, I thought, I think I heard it somewhere once, and I thought that, oh, this genre must be called Miami Bass. I heard someone talking about Miami Bass, and I thought, oh, that must mean, be what they mean. But that's actually an earlier, less unoriginal genre, pioneered in the 80s and 90s yep. by dudes like Two Live Crew, Latrim, 95 South, 69 Boys, tag team of Womp There yes. Insane, <laughs> and who could forget Quad City DJs with their hit, <laughs> come on, ride right. it, bracket the train, end bracket. Uh, yeah, this cocktail of electro hip hop and the powerful sleaze toxins of Miami would actually bleed through into hip house, though. I mean, yeah. it, it, there wouldn't be any flow rider without two live crew. For sure. I think it's safe to say, just as there wouldn't be any black eyed peas without those stubborn bits of poo that sometimes cling to your bum hairs. Yes. Yeah. Um, in metal, uh, a bunch of 90s bands who were either broken up on a hiatus or hiding up trees from their ex wives' lawyers decided it was the perfect time to put out a new album, including Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Deftones, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, Testament, Exodus, Rush, Iron Maiden, Faith No More, Tool, Dream Theater, Primus, Jane's Addiction, Faith No More, Helmet and Biohazard. Uh, every single one of these albums was totally sick and did not appear in the charts for reasons of musical authenticity <laughs> and had nothing to do with sucking. Um, in book news, Ernest Klein released Ready Player One, uh, set in a dystopian future in which all artistic creativity and real-world productivity has been exhausted and the entire population sits around in virtual reality, endlessly recombining old pop culture into artless mashups. Uh, by the end of the decade, people were complaining about how unoriginal the book was, <laughs> uh, leaving aside that that was kind of the point. It seemed unoriginal mostly because after 10 years of Marvel movies and social media, it barely qualified as science fiction, really. No, it I didn't. mean, if, the met if Meta had turned out to be what Mark Zuckerberg actually wanted it to be, then by 2030, it would probably just be what was happening. In the world, oh, exactly. I would say. And, you know, who knows? Maybe Elon Musk's got Meta 2 up his sleeve. Well, one can only hope. Meta 2, Electric, <laughs> I believe is the <laughs> subtitle. Can't wait to live in that metaverse. But mm. yeah, it's um, Ready Player One was a, in terms of a sort of, yeah, I guess a gaming type, was it as, was in terms of that film? Um, I've not seen the film. Have you seen the film? I have seen the film. How, and how was it? It's okay. It's, I mean, some people are always going to find it like derivative and irritating mm. like the book because a lot of it is just about shouting out and recombining old pop culture. Yeah. 
Although that is the plot of the book. Yeah. You know, it's like complaining that Catch 22's got too much sneering at World War Two. <laughs> like, well, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's what it's on the cover. Of. Yeah. But it, um, and it's Spielberg. So yeah. it's at least well directed. Yeah, and yeah. Like, you know. Cool. And Ben Mendelsohn's the bad guy. He really oh. can't do anything wrong. That oh, that's way. good. That's good. Definitely. Nice. All right. Awesome. Um, but yeah, in, in the film, the the, the 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 universe that they're in is a lot like what you can kind of imagine. Like Zuckerberg was hoping that the metaverse might have turned out to be, you know, a sort of yeah, yeah, but one it, giant visual interactive internet where you can do anything from boring business shit to play games and blah yeah. blah blah. Seamlessly, Tom. Yes. You can be on Excel and then you can be <laughs> playing World Heroes 2. Just like that. It's all it's all a seamless sort of motion. Yep, correct. Yes. He still hadn't gotten over the problem of the fact that every single one of those people would have to be wearing a four kilogram scuba mask on top of their head. But yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure, they'll get around to they one will. Of these they days. will. Google, they'll bring back Google Glass. They're a lot lighter. <laughs> so it's the future. You heard it here. Um, look, Tom. I thought you mentioned Teenage Dream, Katy mm-hmm. Perry before, which is a perfect point to kick off um, the the biggest number two song oh okay sure so these are the biggest songs of the year that didn't hit number one yep. for each of the year of the decade I'll just go through them real quick 2010 was Teenage Dream by Katy Perry yep only hit number two biggest song in the RA charts that year um, wasn't a surprise you know given it's one of her bigger hits I didn't I didn't think that it um, I, I in my memory I thought oh that must have been a number one song because yeah. it is a big hit but it didn't only made it to number two she had a lot of other hits in the decade um, I'm glad that this ended up with Katie this song Teenage Dream because I think in the hands of Madonna we may have ended up with a track titled Teenage Peen <laughs> maybe quite possibly and she definitely would have tried to play a high school student in the video oh definitely well. definitely I right. mean Katie Perry was trying to do that as well she was pushing it a bit oh she indeed she ends up just looking a little bit like someone who hangs around high school kids yep. at parties it definitely is a bit weird. Um, 2011, Maroon 5 featuring Christina Aguilera moves like Jagger. Ugh. Now, fucking hell. This got to be one of the worst of the decade. It's terrible. Yeah. One of the dickheads I was covering in a song that I talked about this year, it might come back to me, but yeah, he was responsible for that as well. I oh, really? One of the co-writers? Yeah, fucking I remember hell. thinking that makes sense. It sounds like the kind of nonsense that... Yeah, Adam Levine from Maroon 5, he's certainly um, in touch with his own material and the greater pop oil at large, isn't he? <laughs> he said, it was one of those songs that was definitely a risk. Okay, that's questionable to begin with. It's a bold statement. Is it? it sounds like a... <laughs> Pretty shit sort of pop song where he says moves like Jagger. We've never really released a song like that, but it's exciting to do something different, do something new. I'm just happy everyone likes it. Now, there's a lot of components to that statement, i.e. I'm just happy everyone likes it, that I would disagree with. <laughs> I would say that that is factually yeah, inaccurate. He's quite and good at begging the question. Yeah, it's come up a couple of times previously. Definitely. It's, it doesn't sound very risky, and it's not really a bold statement. It's just sort of a shitty song. I suppose if you translate that through the dickhead filter, what it means is... It sounds slightly different to the kind of boring dad rock. <laughs> That's true. In that it sounds more like we let Flo Rida produce some boring dad rock and he added a dance beat yeah. to it. That's right. Yeah. yeah, actually, that's true. They do such bland shit generally that something this obnoxious is actually sort of a step in the right direction because at yeah. least it's memorable. And even then, it's nowhere near... Like, 
genre-wise, it's not as weird as like the Bee Gees doing disco or something like that. It's, no, yeah, it just anyway. sound, yeah. Anyway, he sucks. 2012, um, Nicki Minaj with Starships. Oh, yeah, that was one of her more <laughs> dancey type ones before she, yeah, fully. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, you know, as a, she sings a lot more in this, and as a singer, she makes a great rapper, and she <laughs> is uh, made a career out of being yeah. a terrible rapper yeah. um, with extremely dubious lyrics, you know. I think she's got a certain verve that I quite like, and I quite like her weird attitude. Uh, yeah, but and I think she really did open the door for a lot of these good or bad. She opened the door for your Megan the Stallions, your oh, yeah. Cardi B's, and so That's forth. True. But yes, she's definitely. I've seen her. I've seen a couple of live performances where she tries to bust out some unassisted singing, and it usually doesn't go yep. well. She should yeah stick to dropping fat verses. Exactly <laughs> right. Um, 2013, uh, Lord with Royals. Which oh, yeah. is actually, you know, one that I, I'm fine with. I don't yeah, mind. It's a good that song. was an unusual standout sort of. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Indie hit. For sure. For sure. Um, I think she was probably declared the future of pop music at some stage, <laughs> wasn't she? Didn't quite deliver yeah. on that promise, but look, oh, I'm sure thing. she. And she, she was like, she was about twelve, was she? wasn't she? When she yeah. Came, when this came out. No, she In wasn't very mid-teens, old. Mid teens. Yeah. yeah. She was young. Yep. But no, this is a good one. Um, 2014 was Sia with Chandelier. Oh yeah. If you remember this one, uh, it's the video of a child doing interpretive dance in a really run-down old shit mm. box of a house. A little bit controversial, that video. Yeah, the, the kid. Yeah, some people thought that it was slightly sexualising yeah. towards children. Yeah, 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 which is weird. Uh, and then that kid was forced into being in every single one of Sia's <laughs> videos for, I think, the rest of the fucking decade, including one with Shia LaBeouf in a cage. She is that. a very good dancer. I have seen... Adults in video clips many times who are not as good at dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Like, pretty much anyone who's ever been on a reality TV show competition. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know who's doing their choreography, but clearly they're not as good as that 10-year-old from the sea video. No, exactly. Um, did you watch Sia's autism film, Tom, that came out? No. Yeah, she she turned her hand at directing. Um, oh, okay. A film where I think the lead character was sort of on the autism spectrum. Uh, okay. um, and... People say it was maybe a little bit heavy-handed. I think misstep is how people put it politely, and others said it was just complete dog shit. People need to stop treating autism and Ace Asperger's like their magical powers and accept the fact that the best film about those was written long ago and it was called The Boy Who Could Fly. Correct. Yeah, that's true. That was the last word on the subject. Nothing else needs to be said. You don't have to do anything like that. It also features Corey Haim shooting people with a super soaker full with piss. Yeah, yeah. You know. Was that Fred Savage or was it Corey Haim? Oh, no, I think you're right. Fred, it was Fred Savage, sorry. Haim might be on in a, there as on well. On a tricycle. Yep, that's true. Um, <laughs> 2015, Hosier, Take Me to Church. Um, this is sort of deep, deeper, deeper vocals with like two yeah. notes on a piano. Yeah, it has to be one of the most kind boring of like pieces of shit, gospel-y yep. thing. You know when yeah. someone when you listen to one of these songs and you sort of question how it got written because written is a is a I guess it's a relative term, isn't it? But when it's just like two notes, ding, yeah. ding, ding, like who's doing that and going, fuck yeah, we've got something here. <laughs> press, the, press the black one and then the white one directly below it on the keyboard mm. after each other. We'll oh, just do that you. forever and ever. Um, but, you know, anyway, people seem to be into it. Um, 
The chain smokers don't let me down. <sighs> Speaking of boring dog shit, these guys showed up for that. Um, Ed Sheeran, Castle on a Hill in 2017. Another thank fuck that yeah. didn't make it to number one. So one less yeah. song to talk about. But I think that was a double A side. That and um, maybe it was The Shape of You. I can't I remember. I think we but had about eight had like, songs by him that yeah, year. So terrible, it's kind of a miracle terrible. that it didn't. 2018, uh, Bebby Rexa featuring the Florida Georgia line, Meant to Be. It's meant to be, it'll be, one. it'll well, be. Maybe just let it be. <laughs> it's just, it's like fake country with like them just saying, let it be over and uh, over, okay. over again. Um, and then 2019, Lewis Capaldi, Someone You Loved. Um, boring. Oh, okay. So they're the number twos of the year. A lot of shit in Was there. Was Lewis Capaldi in the thick of it? Uh, doctor, no. One of the doctors? <laughs> yeah. It might be his son, I don't know. I'm getting confused with that guy who swears a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. That might be his last name, but no, this is some young dude. That's whatever. Uh, okay. um, That's a shame. Hundredth biggest song of the year each decade, Tom. <laughs> Scouting for Girls is saying a love song, 2010. Terrible. Terrible. Kesha, We Are Who We Are. Oh, we yeah. got to talk about that before. Um, Far East Movement, Live My Life. Far East Movement, you might recall them from their Like a G6 hit mm. time. Fantastic. Um, Jason Derulo, 2013, with Marry Me. Yep. One of his lesser hits. Selfie from the Chainsmokers, 2014, 100th biggest song of the year. That sucks. Hermitude, The Buzz. Um, boring. Hermitude, like Australian hip hop? Yeah, no good. Oh, okay. um, 2016, Macklemore, Downtown. We okay. did talk about that. That's- we did bit crap um 2017 david guetta shed a light 2018 post malone congratulations and 2009 charlie xcx featuring troy savine 1999 See, even then like if you'd gone back to the 80s and done the 100th year of city you would have all sorts of weird shit that you know that escapes tension but it's just, just the same thing exactly. it's just the same stuff you'd be like you know? oh there might be some weirder stuff at the bottom of the mm. charts so, because the like charts itchy just, and scratchy the charts or, just aren't registered yep. the same way like might when be Drake a Tokyo ghetto pussy down the bottom <laughs> but, alas right. no it's, just, it's more it's more just dry it's just more Ed Sheeran yeah he's at the top he's, totally. he's everywhere that's right they're inescapable they put out an album and it's got 12 songs on it and that's just the top 12 songs on the charts that, that week but, yeah I'm not necessarily saying it's worse. It just, yeah, it just, it's just not the same way of measuring music, you know. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Look, I'll have to try and see if I can dig back and see what the hundredth biggest song of the year was in <laughs> 1992. Sure. Probably four non-blondes covering Misty Mountain Hop, but uh, one can only hope. Uh, yeah. Well, now. What did you want? Do we do the old uh, our sort of foreign chart hits? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Exactly. So I mean, we're, obviously, our, our podcast is very aria. Well, is completely aria chart focused. Yeah, has a bit of an Australian tinge. Sometimes, what's happening overseas is very similar to what's happening in Australia. But yeah. occasionally, we get a little bit of a mix of things that happen yeah. abroad that captured the hearts and minds of an overseas audience that didn't quite do as well yes. here, Tom. This gives us a chance to have a look at some of those international number one hits of the decade uh, that are all fantastic. Some of my favourite songs going. What uh, You were looking at the US of A, is that correct? Uh, you, we switched around this correct, decade. Yep. I'm looking at the US and New Zealand. Yep. And you're looking at Europe, was it? Europe yep. and the UK. Absolutely right, Tom. So did you want to you kick off? What are sure, you yeah. yeah. Um, okay, uh, look, as we both know, Ben, uh, on the 28th of August 2012, the Toby Mac album, Eye On It, 
debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, uh, which was only the third Christian album ever to do so. Really? Uh, 15 years since the last one. Wow. Uh, in the title track, Eye On It, the white Christian 48-year-old father of five combines some production tricks squeezed out of the flow rider sack, a handful of dance flourishes and a hint of industrial pop to produce a track that is, you guessed it, Ben, heavily influenced by Eurodance, whether it knows it or not. Uh, It certainly isn't hip-hop, that's for sure, which is what this album was sort of marketed as, you know, as you might get it from the fact that Toby Mac started out in seminal um, (laughs) DC talk (laughs) DC talk and also I believe that if you recall the TV commercial that was played ad fucking nauseam as we were growing up um, Mm -hmm. Toby Mac he's the one that provided the rap for this posse G he sure was and it goes without saying that he was also white but yep. you know let's leave Kevin K was the the uh, black member of the group mm. they were they he were, provided the soul for he that did possibly. provide the soul exactly <laughs> and then Kevin K was doing the rock because it was rap rock and soul that's right which together makes DC, DC talk, talk. yeah yep. um, anyway uh, also it's I mean it's clear from a quick glance of the lyrics such as I got my eye on it, I got my eye on it, I got my eye on it, 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 eye on it. Oh, yep. That what's crystal clear is Toby Mac is talking about pussy. Yeah. That's yes. right, poontang, vag, gutted ewok, the old punched <laughs> lasagna, whatever you want to call it. There's only one thing Mac's eyes on and that's clam, Ben. Yes, no doubt. There's no official video on YouTube and which we both know is because it was so pornographic that they refused to host it even if Mac's agent hadn't threatened to end his career if it was ever publicly released. Yeah. Look, Ben, I've seen a bootleg, and I can confirm the rumours that it features Toby Mac as a full-frontal transgender Mary of Nazareth using Ooh. her stigmata in a variety of unusual ways. Interesting. But sadly, my lawyers have advised me not to go any further. Uh, let's just say that if I was the Christian community, I'd be leading protests to have all DC talk albums banned from playgrounds, yep. which would be a bit ironic because so are most Christian church leaders. <laughs> they certainly are, with good reason. Um, yeah, look... It's who? good to see him still kicking goals God, in 2012. I'm glad that I mean, Toby Mac is still going. That's 30 years on from that famous DC talk TV commercial yeah. that got so many Tasmanians involved in the DC talk... Yeah, I think if you have a look at the census, um, you'll probably see that there's more Christians in Tasmania than any other state in Australia, and mm. I dare say it's because of those DC talk ads, I think. So. Yes, they're also the rap, rock, and souliest Christians in they, Australia. They absolutely were. Um, do we know whose pussy he had his eye on? Was it Amy Grant, per chance? So uh, another Christian <laughs> musician from the 90s? Well, the like? official line would be that it's his goodly wife's uh, oh, pussy. Okay. Good. Uh, well, Good. One of the many goodly wives he many may have wi- had. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> nah, true. I, I honestly don't know how many times he's been married. He's got five kids, you know. Well, we don't know what type of Christian he is. He may be on board with polygamy. <laughs> We're not quite sure. There's so, You know, over there in America, you're not quite sure that's where you're going to stand. So. It is true. He could be a, he could be a church, you know, <laughs> Davidian for all I know. And, uh, well, you know, they... They don't have the best name these days after no, David Koresh. No, but... not unless you're a machine head. <laughs> no, that's true, correct. Cool. Oh, well, I'm glad that you brought that up because that I'm going to check out the full album, Tom, <laughs> at a later date. So he's, I hope he's, not, he's still alive. Uh, no, he's still alive. Great. Uh, yeah, he was 48 at the time. The, uh, the thing is that he... Yeah, no, he's had one wife since 1994, so he's essentially got married. I assume she was attracted to him after she saw that DC DC talk. talk, The thing is, which you would only know about if you actually sort of followed fucking 
Christian music, and I mean, let's face it, who does outside yep. of the bubble? But they their sort of sounds kind of evolved, and by evolved, I mean changed to fit whatever was currently fashionable at the time. Yep. So DC Talk have they've been a hip hop group, they've been a new metal group, they've been a grunge group, yep. they've been a sort of power, you know, power pop U two style group. He's uh, at one point he was singing for. Um, what are they called? The Australian guys. You know that Australian band who were like the most popular Christian band in the entire world? Oh. For a time. Um, he took over lead singing duties on them, which is pretty fucking weird, really. It's a little bit like Axl Rose singing for ACDC while Brian Johnson's in hospital, except if they had two completely different genres. But, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Well, that's good to hear that he's still... Still operating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, he must be—he must be pretty wealthy for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Well, hopefully, uh, next decade we'll get to talking about him some more. He might be to the top of the Billboard charts. Um, sure, hopefully sure. Again, for for the next decade. Mm, I wonder if he'll ever get to perform on the Arsenio Hall show again, though. Oh, one can only hope. <laughs> can only hope. <laughs> sure. Cool. All right, Tom, I'm going to the UK. Um, and as we know, the UK have a penchant for high-quality, um, great material. They sure do. So here's one that made it to number one here that there that didn't make it to number one in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, Helping Haiti, Everybody Hurts, REM oh, cover, yeah. which is fantastic. Now, I'm all for Helping Haiti. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they had... An earthquake, if not more than one earthquake, that certainly um, destroyed a great chunk of the country. It is a very poor country as well, so when something like that happens, it can be quite devastating and take a long time for it to recover because they don't obviously have you know the finances to sort of rebuild as you know a richer country like Japan mm-hmm. or New Zealand might do when they experience severe earthquakes. So. You know, it's good that people decided to help Haiti, but I'm not quite sure that I need to hear Leona Lewis, James Blunt, and a array of other artists um, doing a very dubious cover of R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts, Tom. So I think the people of Haiti probably gave the money back (laughs) and just said we're quite happy to live in poverty, to be honest. So, yeah, I think that when you're going to do a charity song... You want to write one from scratch. You want to pull a Bob Geld off and mm. write something that's terrible because at least then, you know, you raise the money, people buy it, Haiti get the cash, you can put the song in the top drawer and forget about it. But yeah. from now on, everyone, every time I hear Everybody Hurts from R.E.M. at a supermarket or whatnot, I'm just going to be hearing uh, James Blunt <laughs> just doing... <laughs> you know you have to carry on. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. I mean, is it good when Australians jump on the bandwagon like that? I just, I can never be quite sure. Not sure. Not you know, sure. I mean, they raise, I guess they're raising money for charity, but at what cost? At what cost? Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> also, was Haiti really crying out for, you know, money from, you know, ex fucking TV news readers? Uh, I don't really know what they wanted. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they wanted money, and I'm sure the Australian government sent them financial aid, but, you know, did they specify, oh, by the way, 
5% of this money is going to come from James Rain, you know, are you okay? James Blunt, are you sorry. James Blunt. Sorry. <laughs> James Blunt. No, that's somehow worse. Yeah, of course it is. Oh, okay, so that had nothing to do with Australia. No, 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 no. no. Just, oh, no. okay. Hmm. This is the UK. This sorry. This is the UK we're talking about. Yes, yeah, I got distracted that's by James right. Rain. That's okay. James Blunt, no. That's probably, that's my fault. See, I'm trying to investigate whether Toby Mac was the lead singer of the Newsboys, oh. which is the band that I was uh, thinking about, yes. No, he um, he, he wasn't him later on. Okay. No, he was. He was the lead singer. Great. He he switched over to do that. The Newsboys were massively popular. One, I remember there was one year, it was like fucking two thousand five or something. They were the most. They were the biggest Australian band. Really? Yeah, the, the most successful Australian band that year by a mile, and nobody in Australia really knows who they are except no. for you know outside of the Christian thing. Sorry. Now I'm, I'm getting distracted by all the sick Christian music that's going on. <laughs> All right, what do we got next? Sure, what do we got next? Okay, well, serves me right for getting distracted because uh, what we've got next is Far East Movement Ooh. featuring the Cataracts and Dev like a G6. Fuck yeah. Uh, I did mention it earlier. <laughs> you mentioned Far East, yes. I you did, did, Far yeah. East Movement, yep. Uh, yeah, Far East Movement uh, is an American hip hop and electronic music group based in LA, uh, formed in 2003, consisting of Kev Nish, which is Kevin Nishimura. Progress, which is James Rowe, DJ Vermin, which is Vermin Kukia, JT Rollison, James Rollison, and formerly J Spliff, J Chong. Ooh. Uh, like a G6, uh, hit number one on both the Billboard Hot 100 chart and the New Zealand charts in 2010, nice. making them, uh, making Far East Movement the first Asian American group to do so ever, which is pretty weird, really. The first Asian American group to have a billboard number one yep. was in fucking like 2010 but sure <laughs> yeah. just, like, you know I don't know I, yeah anyway um, I guess it was around this time that K-pop was hitting the mainstream but this isn't K-pop no. uh, nor is it sort of Asian influenced EDM like Gangnam Style it's just a sort of LMFAO knockoff kind of yep. party thing with extremely simple production the usual auto-tune overdose and most of the lyrics are sung not by the band but some ring-ins that nobody will ever hear from again yep uh, this is how we live every single night take that bottle to the head and let me see you fly hell yeah drink it up drink drink it up when sober girls around me they be acting like they drunk yeah uh, this sounds a lot like someone planning to knock women unconscious using either a champagne bottle as a blunt instrument and or rohypnol added to drinks which the women have specifically requested be non-alcoholic because they've spotted that the Far East movement are already exhibiting <laughs> some down south movement but go on uh Popping bottles in the ice like a blizzard. When we drink, we do it right. Getting slizzard. Getting slizzard, yeah. Sipping sizzip in my ride like 3-6. Now I'm feeling so fly like a G6. Yeah. Uh, jokes aside, none of this makes any fucking sense at all, even by the, some might say, impossibly generous standards of hip house. <laughs> Uh, you can't get drunk every night it's not physically possible taking a bottle to the head is not a euphemism if someone's drinking it up then they're not sober sober people don't act like they drunk and even if they did that's not a credit to you in any way you don't pop bottles into ice that's not a metaphor for blizzards slizzard isn't a real word slizzard isn't even a real colloquialism none of these pricks are driving their least Nissan Maximas on opiates and a G6 is not a plane that existed at the time of recording 
Uh, thus, Your Honour, the only logical conclusion we can draw from this evidence is that the entire Far East movement plus Dev plus cataracts are actually virgins who have never had sex, been drunk or flown on a plane yep. and only know about these things from listening to 3-6 Mafia downloads in the granny flat at Kevin's house when his mum's not home. Correct. I think, yeah, they should have stuck with DC Talk, frankly. <sighs> they might have learned some valuable lessons about monogamy. Uh, I do recall this song was really popular at the time and I remember um, reading or hearing an interview with one of the members and they and of course the question that they get asked is what does like a G6 mean and they responded with well nothing we made it up because as you said it wasn't it's not a no. plane or a type of car I just assumed it was like a, a, a yeah. model of something and then they were like it's a model of plane good. that exists now but at the time it's not in well, 2010 it wasn't no that's, so, be- that's yeah. because the designers of the plane named it after the Far East Movement <laughs> song right. they went that's oh right. that's a great name for a plane and I thoroughly enjoy that so. well I take Jetstar to go to Hobart over Christmas I refuse to fly unless I'm booked on a Boeing Slizzard <laughs> so you know exactly. it shows how far their influence is spread exactly right great track great track I'm oh, <laughs> the first time I heard that it was in delivered with such a sort of basic sing-songy kind of not not sing-songy but sort of like, I only remember the getting kind of simplistic lyrics. way yeah. it's delivered. It was a bit like Tones and I. I was like, is this a... It's not a kid's song, but it has a sort of young adult yep. feel to it. That's yep. kind of what I mean about the way they're all virgins. They just absolutely do not sell the party jam. I mean, say what you like about Flo Rida, but at least you get the feeling that he's gotten drunk and had sex. Oh, yeah, of course. Whereas these he's, guys he's definitely just, banged I'm a lot just not Riders. buying it. Like, it just doesn't seem plausible yep. at all. Um, and also, I... Until you mentioned it, I didn't realise, because at the time I sort of um, went, oh yeah, it sounds just like other songs now, but you listen to it and the production sounds real weak, doesn't it's it? Very like, it's very thin and basic, It's yeah. like, oh shit, I didn't realise at the time. It's not, doesn't, Coles Radio don't play it a lot these days, so no. I don't to hear it, unfortunately. <laughs> I think the Far East movement have sort of been, you know, put in the top drawer of history and they've locked, it, they've locked that door and thrown away the key. Yeah. But look, hopefully they come back at some stage. So, sure. yeah. All right, Tom, I'm still in the UK um, with with what I think is probably one of the finest of the decade, and I wish that it didn't get more play down under. It's uh, Dizzy Rascal featuring James Corden. Um, Shout. Uh, the Tears for Fears oh, classic. Oh my God, really? So, yeah. God, I thought I'd never heard from Dixie Rascal ever again. Yeah. His... Now, Dizzy Rascal doing a duet of Shout is is <laughs> is criminal. But once you factor James Corden into the mix, it's sort of, it's life imprisonment <laughs> yeah, territory, I think. So not a great combo. No, look, reworking the classic Tears for Fears song shout for the 2010 football world cup it's about as bad as music gets so dizzy rascal does some sort of tepid rap in there and then james corden just does a shout shout let it all out dizzy rascal if you've forgotten him or never heard of him was a sort of he was big in the kind of early to mid aughts with a sort of uh garage Yep. He did kind of UK garage rap, and he, he had a couple of sort of hits oh, in the yeah. in the alternative arena. But yeah, that's the first time I've heard his name for a long time. And mm. his musical style is not the thing you would associate with the guy who does fucking what is it, uh, carpool, carpool karaoke. karaoke or the Cats musical. 
Yeah, look, I always thought James Corden was a middling comedian in the right place at the right time, and this song certainly demonstrates that, that, um, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of ability, but he somehow does the best that he can, in singing, that is. Why Uh, ruin a good Tears for Fears song to make a dumbass footy song? Can't you just write some... Olay, olay, olay nonsense for the people yeah, that drive people to For sure. If I was in Tears for Fears, this is the sort of thing that would give me nightmares. You know, it's it would keep me up at That's night right. time they... thinking about how disgusted I am with my own creation and what it's become. And True. on the one hand, you're sort of, you know, thankful that you wrote the song because it sort of projected, you know, rose your, your status and your popularity and mm. it was a big hit that sort of gave you a big international audience and you got to perform all over the world but then you look at it now and you think at what cost you know <laughs> was it That's worth right. it yeah maybe i should have never recorded this song in the first oh, place oh or maybe i shouldn't have fucking signed off on letting these twats well record it crazy i know exactly all maybe right they can't, maybe they thought oh i might get kids I'd, i just think i just think you probably can't prevent people from recording covers <laughs> you know they get those, the songwriting credits those young hip james corden fans might get into our music <laughs> yeah, exactly um all right uh what do we got next two weeks uh in 2012 in new zealand mm. uh Land of the Long White Cloud. Yep. Uh, Flight of the Concords, Feel Inside, and stuff like that. Oh. Um, this is a charity song. Okay. Uh, yeah, which I'd never heard of before, and I quite like Flight of the Concords. But mm. uh, the best way to experience this one is to watch the video, which plays out like a 15-minute Flight of the Concords episode, starting with the band talking to Murray okay. <laughs> in the office after a three-year hiatus. Uh, being told to write a charity song for the Cure Kids Cancer Foundation and then talking to some grade twos for half the video about ways to get money for a charity, specifically $1,121, which is the exact amount recommended by the kids that they'll need to fix cancer. (laughs) Uh, The resulting suggestions are then rolled into a song performed in a Live Aid-style charity studio (laughs) video featuring the band with two dozen of New Zealand's hottest contemporary talents, such as Kimbra... Um, and 19 other ones. Was Scribe in there? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I did so. hear uh, how many dudes you know being used <laughs> in another shitty TV commercial okay. recently. And oh, I was good. Thinking, oh, I hope he gets five bucks from that. Yep. Uh, anyway, in case you were curious, fundraising concepts put forward by the kids include uh, taking it from Dad's wallet, selling oil, uh, making a trap to catch robbers. Yep. Uh, going to another person's house, borrowing money from them, and then giving them some different money back to them, but not as much as the amount you borrowed from it. And coincidentally, those are all the key prongs in Peter Dutton's next election strategy, (laughs) I believe. So, yeah, that should fix the deficit. But, yeah, basically it's just a kind of reasonably sweet sort of harmless charity thing. I know these charity things, as we've covered in depth in the 80s, have a tradition of being very mawkish and that one that you just talked about, the mm. help for Haiti thing. And the best you can say about them is, well, at least they were well-intentioned. Yep. And then you've got stuff like, this is more along the lines of your British tradition of Red Nose Day, where they get A-level comedians to do B-level material, but... A-level comedians doing B-level material is still generally better than the F-level shit you get if you ask, will I am to write a charity single (laughs) or whatever. Exactly. Or do they know it's fucking Christmas? Yeah. So, yeah, on that level, it's quite fun. And as I said, like, 
even if you just watch the first half of the video with the bit with Murray and then talking to the kids, it's it's a funny ten minutes of video. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Speaking of funny, well-intentioned uh, sure. singles, Tom Band Aid Thirty. Do they know it's Christmas? <laughs> oh my god! Um, I won't. I, I'm not. I won't <laughs> just talk about. <laughs> I won't talk about this one, but let's just imagine that they haunt, that they subbed out um, the original cunts that we spoke about thirty yep. years ago. I think in 1984, 85, the ones whenever that are it was, still alive, yep. and sub in One Direction and Ed Sheeran, oh, and God. you sort of know where this is going. So Bono shows up as well, which is all right. Of course so, he does. Um, do we know the funds from this reached their target, or did Robert Mugabe use them to buy surface-to-air missiles to launch at his enemies? <laughs> uh, I don't really know, but won't talk about that one. Um, beyond the people that are in it, because that sucks. But yeah, True. back to the UK though. Tom, was that a number one? That was yes, in America. In the UK. Uh, in oh, the UK. The UK. Okay. Yeah. It was. It hit number one. So yes. So Band Aid, the original Band Aid, the next Band Aid, Band Aid Thirty. They love the Band Aid over there. They love Bob Geldof. And everything that he does. So, Tom, rather than talking about that, I'm going to talk about um, another number one from the UK. This is a big one. As you said, Eurodance isn't dead. And I think this demonstrates that, if anything, it's probably better than it's ever been. And that comes in the form of uh, Adam and the Womp, Bomb Bomb. Okay. If you remember that one. <laughs> I do not. Um, <laughs> I like some Bomb Bomb Bomb. Did you say boom boom or bomb? Bomb bomb bomb. Bomb bomb. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh this channel's some wacky in inverted commas nineties <laughs> dance action with oh, a okay. liberal use of the trumpet mm-hmm. and some dance beats and an off-brand Bjork on lead vocals. Kinda sounds like someone smashed together Entrance and the Cat Empire in the Hadron Collider. Ooh. And that's sort of I think close to what you're getting. It's a violent collision. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a wacky it's a wacky nineties dance oh, song, okay. but released about fifteen years after mm. the fact. So mm. yeah. Fantastic stuff. Hey, the UK know what they're though. talking about. Exactly right. Get on board with that. Adam and the Womp Bomb Bomb. Sure. Uh, back to the USA. Yep. Uh, for Anaconda by oh. Nicki Minaj, 2014. <laughs> uh, only made it to number two on the main Billboard chart, but was a number one on the hip-hop R&B chart, uh, and also in the UK. Number eight in Australia and nine in New Zealand. I'll allow you to bend the rules of something of this <laughs> calibre, Tom. <laughs> well, the, the America have about ten different simultaneous charts do, going, yep. so it is a bit tricky to... Uh, keep an eye on these things and it's still her highest charting single so this is yep. like her you know yeah she shows up on a lot of stuff we talked about her a lot yep. in the last decade but she didn't have any number ones no. I don't think no uh, according to Minaj I wanted to create a song that embraced curvy women that's every single one of your songs but yep. never mind uh, I wanted to be sexual but be playful with it it was simple to write I just created the melody and then I let the words happen <laughs> now some people might argue with certain phrases in that statement such as simple to write or created the melody <laughs> yeah. people like Anon Xmas one of the song's four producers for instance who said the track idea was conceived on a hot day in Miami uh, in which a good friend of mine's phone was on shuffle and it played Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-a-Lot, I instantly thought, this has never been flipped and Nicki Minaj would be perfect for it, mm. in obvious ways. So I sampled a line from an old song of hers so it could have a hook already on it. 
So, to put it another way, the song was conceived by the iPhone RNG shuffle <laughs> algorithm, reminding some dickhead called Anonymous of a good song from 30 years ago, which led to the divine inspirational spark of, hey, nobody's ripped this off yet. So a third party could duplicate a bit of one of the singer's older songs, yep. mix it with the other old song, then give it to her on a plate so she can talk over some bits of it. Yeah. That plus the Colin Tilly video, which won Best Hip Hop Video at the MTV Awards, where she performed the song. Uh, in case you're wondering if the actual writer of the song, Sir Mix-A-Lot, was pissed off about all of this, he tweeted the day after its release, OK, after watching Anaconda 37 times, I have only one word to sum up my feelings. Damn! <laughs> That's with five N's and six exclamation marks. Oh, he'd so be loving it that seems shit. like Nicky should be careful on the highway and always keep one eye in the rearview mirror because from now on, Sir Mix-a-Lot will always be tailing-gating her in a ute just in case she accidentally tosses it and or leaves it. <laughs> so, yeah, always got to remember when you're slowing down that you've always got Sir Mix-a-Lot right behind you in a Porsche. Yep. Yeah. Um, interestingly, about half of the music in... Baby Got Back, e.g. the song this is a rip-off of, is a sample from a 1986 Kraftwerk-style electro song by Channel One, mm. a.k.a. Juan Atkins, called Technicolor, which itself contains various other Jive Bunny-esque <laughs> retro music and vocal samples, you know, from, like, bits of old songs and shit. Uh, so it seems like it's turtles all the way down, Ben, except the turtles are mountainous, wobbling butt cheeks. Ah, oh, fantastic. So, yeah, just them all the way down. Have you seen the video for any oh, I have, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, you have, it's, if you haven't, it's pretty much whatever you're imagining. That's yep. just it. There's no way I could describe it better than the director in a little two-minute behind-the-scenes vlog video that's on YouTube pointing out to Menage how, in one shot, a backup dancer's vag three inches away from her is just falling out of her hot pants. Yep. So, yeah. On the other hand, um, (laughs) Menage says that she seems to be just sort of fucking around, which is kind of fun, and she says that she wrote the lyrics in front of her mates just to see what would make them laugh, which might explain lines like, this dude named Michael used to ride motorcycles. Pussy put his ass to sleep. Now he's calling me Nyquil. <laughs> or I let him hit it because he slang cocaine. He tossed my salad like his name Romaine. Uh, <laughs> um, and each, ver- each verse ends with a line, I'm on some dumb shit. And the song ends with Minaj repeatedly telling all the skinny bitches in the club to get fucked. Yep. So it's just possible this isn't meant to be 100% serious. Nah. And then it ends up being her most popular song, like For her sure, biggest yeah. hit. That's, that has happened quite a few times in yep. this podcast, you know. But yeah. So what is the lesson to be learned there, do you think? Just the lesson to be learned is that um, you just wait. You, you put your iPad or iPod on shuffle, <laughs> wait for something to pop up that from no one's 30 years ago, yeah. and then you just sample it and you go to town and then you make up a story about how it was easy to write, mm. um, as you mentioned, Tom, because <laughs> you didn't have to write it. It turns yes. out that someone else did. <laughs> That's right. So, look, power to Nicki Minaj. That's fantastic. And <laughs> the funniest thing about that is that she's, she's repeated the formula. She did it again with super freaky... Uh, she did. She covered oh, that Rick James. I song. haven't heard that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think uh, you'll find. Well, that I mean, I suppose we're, if you've we're had coming an up to that in the future. Two thousand, two thousand twenty-two. So last oh, year, okay. I think she had a number one hit. I'm not sure about it in Australia, but certainly overseas with "Super Freaky Girl," which is just 
super freak oh with just her doing the exact same shit Didn't again. Change the name, that's no. all. No. Um, and you may recall that Super Freak has already been used by MC Hammer in You Can't Touch This. Yes, so. and about a million TV exactly. commercials. Yeah. So she, she went, oh, that Anaconda thing worked out. We didn't have to fucking do anything, i.e. write any of the music and then just talked over the top. Yeah, yeah totally. Look, either way, I think Nikki and Ice Cube should be doing a range of commercials for Cat and Snooze together. Oh, yeah. Because whereas his dick runs deep and puts your ass to sleep, uh, her pussy is like drinking NyQuil. Yeah, exactly. Seems like they would be the experts on getting a good night's rest. <laughs> I would dare I'd say so. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Also, I'd like to see um, Ice Cube wearing one of those little bed caps oh, that yeah, old yeah, people yeah. wear in Charles Dickens. <laughs> That'd be a good look. Absolutely. So what have we got next? Uh, Tom, we're still in the UK for another number one banger. Icona Pop featuring Charlie XCX. I love it. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, I Um, looked at this one too. I was, yeah, this was massive in America as well. I'll forever be indebted to Icona Pop and Charlie XCX for providing the epic theme to KFC commercials. Oh my so God, yeah. It's uh, had a second <laughs> life here in Australia as now just being on, on KFC ads all the time. Um, even my daughter, who is four, will constantly say, I don't care, I love it. So oh just off the back of seeing an ad for a KFC thing. great, isn't it? So, yeah, and look, what I like about it is the song is effectively about not giving a fuck, you know. Mm undertaking reckless actions possibly to your own detriment <laughs> but not really caring which is effectively what eating KFC is that's right so that's exactly it's a perfect match for the brand yep. I don't give a flying fuck about my own well-being to the point that I'm prepared to hammer a three-piece feed every day mm. might take ten years off my life but I don't care I love it So do you remember it, it also aligns perfectly with their brief short-lived ad campaign uh, sometimes you gotta say bucket <laughs> Yes, they, that's <laughs> right. Because I mean, that's also the only justification you can have for eating a twenty-one piece fucking feed. <laughs> Correct, um, Charlie XCX. Power to her because um, in usually she does when she releases her albums under her own name. Um, she does sort of, I guess, it's pop music, but it's a little bit maybe off kilter, a bit left of center. Yeah. So she doesn't have a lot of big hits because she's doing stuff that's probably not mainstream popular but still popular enough to ha- for her to have a big fan base mm. but she's still got writing credits on a whole heap of like super popular pop songs oh my god yes. so she is she does that thing where it's like I know this is kind of garbage um, so I'm not going to touch it myself I'm yeah. not going to put my name to it but I'll just slide it on over to Icona Pop or slide it on over to Iggy Azalea or whoever yeah. the fuck wants to take it on so she'd be making some serious coin from songwriting credits yeah. and then she still gets to have her own career of doing exactly what she wants without having to jump on board and get Nicki Minaj to do a rap verse on some bullshit that's right and you get a lot less sort of uh, paparazzi style <laughs> talking than someone like fucking you know you do and you get yeah and you get to have a bit of artist credibility because someone like Pitchfork will be like oh she's doing interesting pop stuff (laughs) whereas she's really just writing some straight garbage as well yeah a bit like Sia you know yeah yeah. oh exactly right she does that exact same thing she's Mm. got her own career to do her stuff but she's not (laughs) afraid to co-write a co-write a track exactly about getting a blowjob (laughs) that's right alright what do you got uh, back to New Zealand once again. Uh, 2018, Kanye West and Ooh. Little Pump. I love it. Uh, 
Are you familiar with this one? Um, it's not the Icona Pop song, is it? No, <laughs> right. no, no, it's not. I, I sort of remembered another thing. That Icona Pop song was famously featured in Girls. It's in a. It was in it. That was quite an iconic scene at the time when that was at the height of its popularity. Yep. Yeah. Yes. This wasn't featured in Girls for reasons that may become <laughs> obvious as it goes on, but it was number one in New Zealand, Greece, Sweden, Canada, and Finland. Oh yeah. Plus number six in the U.S. and number four in Australia. Um, 2018. So this is kind of rolling gently over the crest of Kanye's slide down here. <laughs> this uh, is this is yeah, there was a period of time where he could do no wrong basically. Yep, so we've and passed now we're in that. a period of time where he can't do anything right because he's a weirdo. Yes, but, but he hasn't of... the train hasn't reached the <laughs> Hitler was a pretty cool guy station. <laughs> no, yet. not yet. Or wearing a fucking balaclava backwards in public stuff. Yep. Yeah. Um Kanye West and Little Pump, who's a younger sort of up-and-coming artist at this stage, teamed up for I Love It, yep. uh, a song about their respective sexual preferences. Uh-huh. Uh, the song and video were debuted at the inaugural, the inaugural Pornhub Awards in Los Angeles, <laughs> right. where Kanye served as co-creative director of the event, whatever the fuck that means, which seems appropriate because when Kanye was interviewed on Jimmy Kimmel and asked Kanye if having daughters had changed his attitude toward women, he replied, nah, I still look at Pornhub. So perhaps that's <laughs> what drew them to uh, getting him on the, on the team. Uh, after the interview's release, Pornhub reached out to Kanye via Twitter, mm. giving him a lifetime premium membership to show appreciation for his support. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say about RedTube on the podcast? <laughs> no, no. We're going to get life. We're going to get some sponsors, are we? So mentioned how much I love X videos. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think um, I don't want to follow in the footsteps of anything <laughs> Kanye has done. So, yeah. Uh, also in 2018, Billboard published their 21 Under 21 interview with Ooh. Little Pump. So he was under 21. According to Pump, his contributions to this song were recorded in 15 minutes, Taxi Club, yep. Honk Honk, during his 18th birthday party. Ah. And it was also Kanye's idea to start the song with the chorus, which is, you're such a fucking hoe, I love it. You're such a fucking hoe, I love it. So the song is barely two minutes long. It's just a synth line, a taxi club half-sung verse from a teenager who voluntarily calls himself Little Pump, <laughs> and one D-minus See Me After Class Kanye West rap in its entirety. I'm a sick fuck, I like a quick fuck, repeat five times. I like my dick sucked, I'll buy you a sick truck. I'll buy you some new tits, I'll get you that nip tuck. How you start a family, the condom slipped up. I'm a sick fuck, I'm inappropriate. I like hearing stories, I like that ho shit. I want to hear mo shit, I like the ho shit. Send me some mo shit, you trifling ho bitch, bitch, bitch. Uh, right. He was married at the time as well, <laughs> just had a daughter. Uh, yeah, so remember, next time you're at a presidential inauguration seated between Kanye West and an active member of the National Socialist Party, struggling for conversation and you've already talked about Balenciaga, try asking Kanye how he feels about buying women utility vehicles as payment for oral sex. You know, it's good that he points out that he does enjoy oral sex, though, because you can't always take that as red, you know? A lot of men don't like getting blowjobs, and it's time we talked about it. Yep. Where's their flag, man? 
Yeah, well, I think this song has raised that issue very, very clearly. <laughs> ha- have you seen the video for this one? No, you I might, might recognise it if you have. Uh, directed by West and Amanda Adelson, and based on some napkin doodles by Spike Jones, like you can see them online, it's literally just some doodles he did on some napkin. Yep. The video features an enraptured West and a visibly uncomfortable 18-year-old little pump wearing huge square-shouldered foam... <laughs> Roblox style suits with tiny little heads in the middle walking down a sort of infinite hallway and staring up at the giant Amazonian figure of a comedian called Adele Givens and that's all that happens she just sort of walks down this corridor and they kind of shuffle along wrapping in these kind of giant foam suits uh, my favourite thing about it is that West looks like he's having a fucking blast. Great. Like, he looks genuinely kind of blissed out. But yeah. He's off the meds or on the meds? Oh, I, who can say? In much the same way that some people supposedly have BDE, you know, uh, Kanye West has BTE or big toddler energy. You know, he always looks like he's either sulking just realised he shat himself and hasn't decided whether to cry, or like here is kind of giddy with happiness. Yep. You know, other people with BTE include Bruce Willis and 50 Cent, incidentally. <laughs> the best part of this song is that West looks like he's having fun, though, because really, the rest of it, I mean, these lyrics are a fucking sexist nightmare, but I still wish he'd do more shit that was crazy like this in a sort of Spike Jones way, and less stuff that's crazy in a sort of giving props to Adolf Hitler's type Yeah, way, that's correct, know. yeah. Exactly. By, by the standards at the time I remember people thinking what the fuck is this but five years on looks pretty good actually <laughs> it's it like does. hey at least it was a bit weird and creative things are going further <laughs> downhill do you think that uh, the person that was in the video clip someone said hey look Kanye wants you in a music video mm-hmm. um, and you're like well I get the chance to at the time you're thinking I get the chance to work with a creative genius this could be anything you show up and he's just talking he's rapping these lyrics at you in a fucking foam outfit I like the idea of I like the idea of a guy who's in grade 12 getting a phone call at his birthday party and it's who's that oh it's Kanye West you go into the spare toilet and he's like I want you to do some verses about how much you want your dick sucked by a filthy hoe if you've got time that only needs to be about 20 seconds long I'll cover the rest of it yeah 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 absolutely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like your mum's going the birthday cake's coming and you're like oh fuck alright I'll be out in a second yeah absolutely I'm just just going to wrap something <laughs> for Kanye yeah. yeah it's um so what year was this? Uh, that was 2018 so okay. yeah in my mind that just happened recently but yeah 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 wowzers <laughs> so there you go I'm kind of surprised you haven't seen it the the sort of image was a meme briefly just them yeah. in the, those stupid costumes yeah so he just so Little Pumps just dropped the hit single Gucci Gang um, and Kanye's went I love a bit of that uh, Gucci I Gang I guess so <laughs> Gucci Gang. I don't think I've heard that one. Oh, it's fu- he's, he's Little that... Pumps straight garbage across the board so I'm a major yeah. mad in that, that song of... he's terrible but it's kind of like as I said it, it kind of tell it looks a little bit like under the foam suit Kanye yep. might have a gun pointing at him uh, so yeah. from the expression on his face so it's a bit hard to tell whether he's rapping under duress or yeah what? well I mean the thing is it was Kanye sort of like maybe this mumble rap's going somewhere I should sort of hedge my bets and try and hook up with one of the yeah, hottest young I mean, talents in this fledgling by, by Kanye standards too like as I said it's really short and it's yep. really blunt and to the point like nothing there's no fancy stuff in the song there's no weird effects there's nothing like yep. that it, yeah fuck I don't know maybe he was just desperate to put something out but, yeah. fair enough 
Um, Please. Cool. I've got my last song, yeah. Tom. Um, look, I think what I'll mention here, this is another one from the UK. In the UK, the Christmas number one is a really big thing. Sure We've spoken is. about that yes. before. So yeah. we don't really have that phenomenon in Australia where someone tries to drop a single a week or two out from Christmas, gets no. everyone to buy it, so you'll have the Christmas number one. But in the UK, it's quite a big thing. And for a few years there, I think what happened was that um, Simon Cowell, that do the X Factor um, or whatever was he was he X Factor or British Art UK Art or whatever it was, remember. but you know what I mean. One yeah, of those talent shows. So that was have... memorably taken the piss out of yep. him. Uh, Love Actually. I yeah, think it's a whole story about Bill Nye doing a shitty Christmas yes, single. Correct. Like it was already a joke back then. Yep. That, yeah. So Christmas singles. Um, but I think what happened was for a period of time, the X Factor they would have their. The winner is in the X Factor, and they'd announce it yep. maybe a week before Christmas, and then the winner of that would drop their single. And for a period of time, um, early to sort of yeah, late two thousands, early two thousand and tens, what would happen is the single would always be the X Factor winner, just for years. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And people got sick of it, and they were like, Simon Cowell, you know, he's hijacked the Christmas single by dropping this X Factor mm-hmm. winner thing. And the X Factor winners always go to number one for whatever reason. People seem to really be into the show, buy the single en masse, and people got quite angry. So back in, I think it was 2008 or 2009, um, people said, let's protest this we don't want Simon Cowell uh, okay. to get the number one song again with his stupid shitty whatever so we want everyone out in the UK to buy a digital download copy of the Rage Against Machine song <laughs> Killing in the Name that's right and what happened Tom was in 2008 or 9 I think it was 2009 the Christmas number one single was, was Rage Against the Machine <laughs> Killing in the Name of sure. as, a, as a protest song so that's what yeah. happened so subsequent to that I think people have been really into making sure the Christmas song is that sort of protest song. It is something hmm. that sort of rails against the establishment, something that has a look at sort of the crass commercialization of Christmas and also how X Factor blends into that and they try and release a single that will capture the hearts and minds of the nation and something that protests about that and something a bit more wholesome, something that has a bit more substance. Yeah. So that's what they've been doing. And that's what happened with this next song, Tom. Um, Lad Baby, I Love Sausage Rolls, uh, which was the Christmas song towards the latter part of the decade. So what happened was he did a cover of I Love Rock and Roll, changed the lyrics to about how he loved sausage rolls because it's a protest song, Tom. It's, it's railing against the crass commercialization of, you know. of Christmas and the X Factor. It has a bit more substance than some of the other yeah. songs. There's a lot and of people out there starving who can't afford sausage exactly. rolls. Exactly. So Lad Baby showed up when the time was right, created this song, mm. and it went straight to number one for the Christmas number one. And I think it, you know, it really is a sublime cover of I Love Rock and Roll, with uh, sausage roll themed lyrics. Please tell me that Lad Baby is a rapping baby. Um, no, he's a he's a YouTuber that would post videos about you know the wackiness of being a dad and having oh, kids God. and whatever. So it's like almost worse. It is. It's got <laughs> it's a, at least on the so sp- it's on the it's on a seesaw. Yeah. With the- so he had a bit of a um, he's got a bit of a UK 
I guess so, like YouTube yeah. channel following off yep. the back of that. So he's he's parlayed that into a a, a music yeah. career, and he's actually had the Christmas number one on more than one occasion. Oh so wow! I love sausage rolls is obviously the the creme de la creme of his Christmas number ones lyrically and musically, but. This isn't the first time, nor will it be the last that he dabbles in this sort of area. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It it, it recurs in the 2010s, this decade. Like, in the 2000s, we were starting to see the influence of the internet on music in the terms of streaming, YouTube, Spotify, you know, all these things coming along. But the artists themselves were still figuring out how to deal with it. Now, in the 2010s, you've got artists who grew up with that and people who know how to use the um, social media and the internet to uh, push their careers forward, push their music to the front and so on. Mm. So you're getting more media savvy, social media savvy stuff rather than just Beyonce doing a video of herself where she's on a web page on the internet or people struggling to try and figure out you know, yep. how to get more people to download their shit off the internet. Now it's, get, it's becoming more of a, you know... So, just to put it... Yeah. You're absolutely oh, correct. No, you're right. absolutely I'm correct. just saying it's interesting. It's no. A, well, to put it in context, uh, Lad Baby has had the Christmas number one on the UK singles charts every year from 2018 to 2022. Fuck, that's pretty impressive. Five years in a row. I mean, and he might hit six this year. We don't know. Um, with songs, a cover of We Built This City, I Love Sausage Rolls, Don't Stop Me Eating. Sausage rolls for everyone and food aid. <laughs> so, so. so, well, this is exactly what I'm talking about. He's figured out how to successfully sort of game one country's system yep. by using streaming, but also feeding into that with his own social media career to yep. get you know people to at exactly the right time download enough of this stuff so that he. Gets it does beg be- the question, though: uh, when will people rail against this as they <laughs> did Simon Cow's? But um, well, I guess if yes. this is less commercial, I yeah. mean, if he's if he's t- taking his money and donating it to charity or doing something else with it, then that probably has a better impact than it, which I believe he yes. did with I Love Sausage Rolls. Exactly. I assume he does it every year. He gets the money and gives it away to, for a good cause. If it's cause. charity, I would say yes. Yep. I did while I was researching this. I did actually come across an article where a music journalist from the UK was saying what happened to all the. X Factor number ones, like where did they go? It used to be a given thing that yep. each year there would be the winner of X Factor or whatever all, yep. would become, you know, they would at least have one number one hit yep. or a number one album or something and grad just just like people still watch the show. Yeah. But as I said, like, you know, way back when we stopped talking about reality TV people, it's like they realise that people will still watch even if there's no guarantee. You don't have to pretend that the person who wins is going to get a pop career no, anymore. No, no. People will still watch the chairs go round or whatever. Yep. You know, the person who's fat but can still sing. Correct. You know, or the person who's fat and can't sing but thinks they can sing. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to pretend that you're going to create the next Michael Jackson no, every fucking no, episode. No. Yeah. So, look, congratulations to Lad Baby. Uh, <laughs> he broke the record previously held by the Beatles. Tom, who had four Christmas number ones, so we can finally answer that question. Lad Baby is the new Beatles, so mm. check out I Love Sausage Rolls if you do like uh, the Joan Jett song I Love Rock and Roll and Sausage Rolls, so it's, a, it's the perfect mix of the two. He's also too dumb to realise that there's already one that he could have used, which is, um, it's a little, the long way to the shop if you want a sausage roll. 
which people have been singing to the tune of ACDC yep. since about 1982, I think. Well, email that through to him, Tom, and it might be the Christmas number one of this year, I dare suggest. So, I want to see the figures for how much of this shit goes to charity and how much of it goes to... To Sausage Rolls, yeah. ...fucking YouTube account. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, one out of Italy, Tom. I just wanted to shout out real quick. Sure. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it, but... Just, you know, I think honourable mention to Yolanda Be Cool and D-Cup, uh, We Speak No Americano. I remember so, that one. Yeah, yeah I think that was one a big the, club hit. I think one of the dudes was from Australia, I believe. So they had, <laughs> yeah. they had a number one hit in, um, yeah, in Italy, weird. I think it was. The, the lyrics were kind of... Um, was that the one where the lyrics were largely taken from like a... Um, uh, uh, Italian, like learning to speak Italian, like so. a Duolingo yep. kind of recording Correct. type thing. Correct. Very, very catchy though. It was like yep. Barbara Streisand. It was one of those ones where the uh, it's so catchy that it's difficult to dislike. Yeah, I think Yolanda be cool and D Cup. They're they're you know. We don't know them that well in Australia, but I assume over in Italy they're as big as Beyonce, sure. probably, no Look, doubt. any musician named after a bra size is okay they're with definitely, me. They're definitely, they're going And places, also they're probably they? from Italy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I looked up, someone, there was a thing on TV the other night where they were doing, uh, was, have you been paying attention? Yeah. And they were, they showed a bit of Italian beauty in the geek. And oh. yeah, <laughs> fucking How was that? Well, as you can imagine, because it's Italian, it's more like supermodel and the really handsome guy. So, yeah, I'm not sure if it works quite well. But, yeah, if you want to see a seven-foot-tall, you know, blonde Helena Christensen lookalike rummage around in the pants of some guy who just looks like they picked him up outside uh, in the taxi queue outside a nightclub on a Friday night, then that's the show for you. Do they have an Italian version of um, Farmer Wants a Wife? Uh, I sure hope so. I'm sure they do. They certainly have an Italian version of uh, Sophie Monk, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, shall we move on to something else? What else? Uh, Did you have any uh, smaller awards? I do, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. You have some smaller awards as well? Uh, Mine are a bit chunkier, so you feel free. You go... All right, Tom. Yeah, a couple of awards here. Um, certainly, Best Appropriation of Japanese Culture Three Decades <laughs> Too Late Award goes to Avril Lavigne for her music video Hello Kitty. Oh, okay. Um, that came out way too late for a Hello Kitty reference. A um, couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, absolute dog shit. That'd Terrible song. Ten years after even Harajuku Girls or something. <laughs> I think it was. Be. Yeah, exactly. Um, so to sort of pull out a Hello Kitty song, it's mm. just sort of had that sort of vibe of here's something I've just heard about. Yeah. Oh, it's really popular. Oh, it's been popular for thirty years. How about <laughs> I get this cranking? Um, the music video is dog shit, terrible dancing, horrible song. Um, so yeah, congratulations to Avril for for mining the culture of another country. Just yeah. you know, so off topic. She into- might have done that Malcolm McLaren thing where they think, oh, <laughs> hey, they like pop starlets in Japan, maybe I could do a sort of Japan pandering thing and 
Yep. I'll get some hot girls and do a song about sushi and then there'll be a big hit over there. Absolutely. Never mind the fact that they have their own entire massive industry set up specifically to do that. For sure. For the last 50 years, but yeah. Um, the award for I Love a Comeback 99% of the time, <laughs> but occasionally I fucking hate a comeback award, goes to Train for Whole Hey Soul Sister. <sighs> so we haven't speak about this before, yes, but uh, it's worth noting again right. that they did have... A very big break between hits. Yes. I think that it, I, I was hoping they no longer existed, and they pop back up with that piece of shit. No, and then they're still going now. Yep. I know what you mean. Their their I talked about that. their career spans like twenty something years. It's mm. yeah, it's kind of nuts, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. So and the fact that that was a hit also kind of crazy. Oh, absolutely insane for sure. Um, the award for I'm all for equality between the sexes but this song makes you want to jump out of a window <laughs> goes to Rachel Platten for Fight Song oh this yeah this is my fight yeah. song it's uh, yeah that wasn't helped by annoying. Hillary Clinton using it for <laughs> no. an unsuccessful fucking campaign either no exactly right exactly it's exactly the kind of thing that yeah, gives both of them a bad name. Yeah. Um, the award for you immediately know that this is from the late two thousands, early two thousand and tens, due to an overlong and completely unnecessary close up of a Beats product by Dr. Dre. <laughs> um, <laughs> fucking hell! There was a there was a period of a few years oh there my where God, I know every second video clip required someone to be wearing a pair of Beats headphones. It seemed like a decade, but I, it, yeah. I can't tell if that was just my imagination because it happened so often. But yeah, it was at least five yep. years. So the yeah. winner of that award goes to Jessie J for her song, It's My Party. Okay. Uh, Tom, Jessie J was, uh, she was one of the men. Remember when they tried to do a new Lady Marmalade? Yes. Um, she was yeah. one of the people in there. Uh, okay. Uh, it was dog shit. So in this instance, Tom, it wasn't the Beats headphones. It was the, it was the, the uh, Beats pill. Remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yep. The little the speaker that's shaped thing. like a pill? Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, probably had a couple of, you know, A, it looks like a pill. B, you'd probably have to be taking pills to <laughs> enjoy any of the music that the song, that the product placement was contained within. Um, does product placement speak to the ephemeral nature of music videos, Tom? Is it, you know, is the artist consciously or subconsciously acknowledging that this is an art that's going to stand the test of time? So we may as well try and reclaim some of the production budget through throwing a Dr. Dre Beats headphones in there because mm. I think if you thought this is something that's going to last for the ages and this is something that people are going to watch over and over in a decade or two decades later, people are going to say that's a great music yeah. video, you really don't want to timestamp it with like a Nokia 3210 no. trying to send a text message through an Excel spreadsheet or whatever the fuck. So. Yeah, and, and, and we talked about that with one of Adele's videos as mm. well, I think. And also then there's a difference between using a very specific and obvious bunch of brands and using some background detail. Like nobody, if you see a flat screen, if you see a big old TV in a video you don't think oh how dated that looks you just think oh well this was just made before 1997 or whatever yeah but if you see yeah like that a lot of fucking brand names that no longer exist or yeah. whatever then yeah fucking, i mean even that? even some of those drinks ones where pitbull oh was like pouring a, at least so it's like many. well it's in the pitbull he's in a club he's pouring someone a drink at least it's yeah. within context in this video clip it's just Three quarters of the way through, uh, Jesse J just holds up a Beats pill 
to the camera yeah. and they zoom in on the beats thing for about two seconds. It was that Jennifer, and it cuts back to it was her Jennifer Lopez and Pitbull. Like, oh yeah, that was a number one. <laughs> that literally, the video literally begins with a a, a, a giant Swarovski crystal logo, which then zooms out because it's on a handbag being held by. Uh, uh, J-Lo and then Pitbull pulls up in a BMW which pulls up to the camera so the BMW logo comes up to the and then the camera pans around I think to a label of like a gin yeah. or a tequila or something it's like that it's fucking crazy so it's four... I mean there's people directing TV commercials and go no you can hold the logo till the end you don't have to start <laughs> the ad with a giant logo yeah Mike going you don't have to ram it down our <laughs> throat right. Commonwealth Bank we can hold we can, right. we can hold back a bit that's right yeah, yeah. so that was a uh, uh, there's a lot of video clips that I, I think that Beats have probably said, okay, we can probably, you know, tone it down a bit now because it doesn't happen now. I don't sort of watch Rage and go, oh, there's another fucking Beats yeah. headphones, but holy shit, they went oh fucking God. ape shit and, for about five years. And the celebrity drinks thing was crazy. I mean, I watched yeah. a video the other day that wasn't that old and that had celebrity shit drinks in it, so they're still doing it, but I mean, truly, like, it's become such a hack cliche to have your own brand of something you know oh absolutely um so yeah i'll just move on quickly to the next one um i want to throw everyone in this music video um and everyone involved in its creation into a wood chipper award uh jesse j it's my party tom not only is there a beats pill but the the music video itself is fucking horrible and it's just jesse j she's trying to fake play guitar and she looks a bit like a punk and then she goes into a room and there's all the cool people then she looks through a window like another door sorry she's in like an apartment building and she looks through the keyhole and there's nerds and she's like i don't want to go in there then she sees some cool kids and she's like i'm gonna hang out in there and then she's like trying to play guitar like she's a punk but looks just like a fuckwit so everyone in the video sucks the people behind the scenes that came up with the concept are terrible yeah. so I hope none of them are working uh, <laughs> in the industry at the moment uh, I was going to do my uh, uh, at usual decade anti-drug uh, oh, yeah. decade award um, sadly I keep doing this but sadly the awesome anti-drug commercials I'm increasingly starting to feel really peaked in the 80s and oh, 90s oh yeah but um, yeah so uh, I was just going to talk about um, some of the less good examples yep uh, Amy Winehouse rose to fame on the back of a song about refusing to go to rehab uh, yes. her boyfriends were a series of ne'er-do-well junkie twats she got emphysema from smoking God knows what and it became rarer for her to end a concert by saying goodnight than with some drug-related disaster. Yep. Uh, that said, when she actually died in 2011, it was from good old-fashioned alcohol. Ah. Uh, you know, the spectacularly dangerous drug you can buy in fatal quantities for 30 bucks at Woolworths and which killed more talented artists throughout human history than syphilis or light aircraft. (laughs) Uh, A year later, in 2012, Whitney Houston drowned in a bathtub shortly after recording and acting in what was going to be a comeback uh, remake of the movie Sparkle, starring her and Nowhere Jordan Sparks, our old mate. (laughs) Yes, really? Yeah. Great. Yep, she had a number one a while back. Uh, Her system contained weed, coke, cough syrup, and our old mate Xanax. Uh, as the lead singer of the Cranberries would demonstrate in 2018, it is possible to accidentally drown in a bathtub if you're munted enough. Mm. Uh, by the end of the month, Houston became the first and only female act to get three albums in the top ten album charts simultaneously. Wow. To date, that hasn't been beaten. And a week later, she was the first and only 
female act to place nine albums within the top 100 at the same time. She sold 3.7 million albums and 4.3 million singles worldwide in the first 10 months of the year that she died. Wow. Uh, The single I Will Always Love You got back onto the Billboard charts and hit number three, which gives you some indication of how beloved she was. And also, I should point out something that I'd forgotten, which was that despite the cliche that she'd had, she was not with Bobby Brown when they died. They had broken up by that stage, so it's not like they were holed up in some bedroom smoking crack. As she herself said, crack is whack. She did say crack is whack. I've got enough money that I don't have to do crack. So turns out she just did coke, weed and Xanax instead. But hey, we've all been there. We have, absolutely. Uh, In 2016, Prince died, uh, not from having a heart attack on bloat and orgy or jumping off a building high on LSD, Mm. but from accidentally sneaking too many backyard fentanyl to feed an opioid addiction that he'd probably started legally like so many other non-famous, less purple Americans had. Yep. How much did Prince fuck, Ben? He was divorced and had fathered no surviving children when he died. If that seems a bit unlikely, you weren't the only one, because within three weeks of his death, more than 700 people claimed (laughs) to be half-siblings or descendants, and the county had to drill open his vault to get a DNA sample from his corpse to test them all against, and it proved negative. None of them were... Uh, it. Uh, the guy banged a lot of chicks though Ben is what I'm saying oh no doubt oh, it just makes you wonder how many women uh, who had slept with Prince at some point had told their kids that their dad was Prince yeah you know because it's more interesting than the truth <laughs> absolutely I your mean who wouldn't want to think your dad was Prince yeah yeah um, um, uh, yeah oh no please <laughs> no, no. Um, Prince Andrew Obviously, you don't want that to no, be dad, but, no, uh, yeah, no. but actual, yeah, but Prince for sure. With Prince Andrew the other way around, you'd keep it quiet <laughs> and then would. just take the money, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, other high profile drug related musical deaths uh, in the 2010s included Wayne Static, oh, no. Paulie from OMC, and of course, Josh Martin of Anal Cunt and Adolf Satan, who <laughs> died in 2018 after fucking around on an escalator and falling headfirst into a food court. Yeah. Now, some people might say that doesn't necessarily mean he was high on drugs, Ben, but if I die next week trying to impress some tweens outside KFC, by God, at least tell people I was fucked up, please. Yeah. Because the fact that I might have been sober and doing that would just be too ridiculous to contemplate. But, yeah. I think in general, I was looking back, an awful lot of musicians died in the the 10s, but less of them from booze and... Uh, from booze and drugs than than in previous years. I think it's become, over time, it's gradually become maybe a bit less of a thing for young people to think that those things necessarily go hand in hand with the musical lifestyle. And also, I think a lot of 60s, 70s and 80s musicians were getting to the age now where their lifestyles do finally caught up with them, so they die in non-overdose ways, but they die of like liver cancer or something, which is not you know, caused by drinking yourself to death. It just means you drank way too much 20 years ago. Of course, Tom. I mean, so a wise man over. once said that um, your lifestyle determines your death style. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, Fran, tick, 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 tick. Yeah. So, yes. Turns out the two people from Anal Cunt died in the decade as well, They Tom, did, unfortunately. Yes. So, yeah, it's a, a tough, <laughs> tough decade for Anal Cunt fans. The other one wasn't drug-related, though, I don't I th- think. I don't know. I think it was, might, might it, have been suicide, maybe. I think, I think it was drug-related. Maybe. Dude, was on a was, lot of drugs. Maybe, so, yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm pretty sure that guy was too, but mm. yeah. 
It's good to see he was in some other bands, though. I haven't heard anything from Adolf Satan for a while, <laughs> but I will, I will look them up. <laughs> no doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, cool. So I've got an award, Tom, for the... Uh, we needed. We definitely needed this part one award goes to uh, Lou Baga for Scatman and Hatman. <laughs> so we've talked was about that. Was that in the 2010s? 2018 it came out. Oh, yeah. shit. God yeah, he, he bided his time with that one, <laughs> did Lou Baga. So um, I think it was 20 years after he had a hit with oh, okay. Marlboro Number no. 5. And I assume Scatman John had been dead long enough where he could avoid any sort of lawsuits or something <laughs> like that. I'm not sure. <laughs> so that was fantastic to see. Lou Baga combined forces with the dead Scatman John to release the single Scatman and Hatman. We've talked about this in the past, but I thought it was worth mentioning again. I don't think anyone ever referred to Lou Baga as the Hatman, but it does rhyme with Scatman, mm, so it works mm. very, very well. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's great. It's it makes it a lot easier to do a duet with someone when they're dead because then they can't refuse. Yeah. So good on Lou Beggar for doing that. So yeah, that's We Needed This Part 1 <laughs> award. And We Needed This Part 2 award goes to Guru Josh for Infinity oh. 2012. Oh God, that's right. I forgot he did it. So yeah. Guru Josh, who we know and love from Infinity, which came out in 1990, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, rekindled that love in 2012 for Infinity 2012. Obviously, he's passed away now. Yeah, R.I.P. Guru Josh. No, um, we should also note, I think it's probably worthwhile pointing out, that he'd also done Infinity 2008 <laughs> just a few years before. So hey, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing three yeah, times. I wish he was still alive today because we could have gotten Infinity 2022. Uh, I reckon every four years he'd probably just drop a new Infinity maybe track. Maybe on the anniversary of his death, yep. uh, DJ Sammy will you know, uh, kindly I hope you know, so. I hope put so. in with it. Now, Infinity 2012 is good. Uh, that you know, taken as red, and the video clip is also good. But the 2008 version, Infinity 2008, the video clip for that features a chick that looks like she's going to fuck a saxophone. Ooh, so okay. definitely a music video worth checking out. Uh, there's a young lady. She's sitting on a couch. There's a saxophone on a stand that she's looking at, uh, okay. and then it cuts back to her. Uh, then she removes all of her clothes and she's just in her bra and underpants sort of dancing around, sitting on the couch, looking a bit sassy, cut to the saxophone, (laughs) cut back to her, what's going to happen? Then she just picks up um, a big mallet and just starts smashing a wall with a blockbuster, sorry. Mm. So she just starts hammering a brick wall like that. Then it cuts back to her dancing sexily, cuts back to the saxophone. What's going to happen, we don't know. But it's a very, very great song, great video clip. Sounds very Freudian. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that Guru Josh was satisfied with that, but clearly not 100% satisfied because he had to come back in 2012 to have another crack Mm. at Infinity. Um, I've got the uh, Accidentally Changing Music Forever by Losing Your Mind in Public Award, (laughs) which can only go to Kanye West uh, from about the life of Pablo onward, Mm. basically destroying the album as a concept forever by being incapable of making final decisions on songs. Yeah. You know, art is about decisions, bro. You've got to sign off on shit. Apart from anything else, it makes you look like a total pussy. Donda 2 isn't GTA 6. It's not a 200-man job leading to a billion-dollar <laughs> deadline with a corporation's legacy balanced on top of it. It's just a fucking hip-hop album. Nobody cares how long it takes. 
you can't get any richer than you already are. Get Buckethead on the tracks. Yep. Employ a full-time aura reader. Build a chicken coop in your studio. You know, take a decade. Drive the record company as crazy as you are. You know, the funny thing is, if like, this was some young artist, I would think, you know, he's just trying to keep his name in the media, yep. you know, like by... But increasingly, it seems like Kanye West's true talent is just getting to people to talk about him. Yep. He seems to have way more fun doing that than actually making songs, you know. Yep. He should just get a job doing social media for other artists, you know. Like, hey, Fergie, I can get the press talking about you again. Just give me 10 minutes in charge of your Twitter account and nobody will leave you alone until 2050, you know. Correct. Starts yep. typing, you know. Hey, what's the deal with Ethiopian chicks? Do they all have anorexia or something? I need some diet tips. Hashtag jealous at Jermaine Greer, you know. <laughs> Start talking about slavery. Hey, has anyone thought about slavery? What was up with that? You know, Hitler, he had some good ideas about slaves, you know? <laughs> yeah, suddenly everyone's talking Fergie again, you know? Yeah, exactly. Look, he has lost his mind, and you're absolutely right. The sort of, I think, when... He, probably one of the worst things about the streaming era is that... A yes. product is yeah. not a fixed product anymore. No, and the album as a concept grows increasingly sort of ephemeral yeah. and hard yeah, to define. You, don't, yeah. you, you can't recall in the past, you know, for example, um, Nirvana releasing an album and then going, oh, we got to recall the five million copies we sold because Kurt's yeah. decided that... Um, he needs to change up a string section or, or he wants to add another guitar bit to something. So we're going to re get, get them all back and re-release it. It was out there, it was done, and that was it. And then if you were unhappy with it, 10 years later or 20 years later, your record label releases the anniversary thing and it's got like a new mix of something yeah. where we've re-recorded the drums or we've done some bullshit or whatever and that's just how it rolled. But with Kanye, it's like I've released the album, I've got some feedback or something's yeah. happened oh shit I'm going to change I'm cutting that track out or I'm going to re-edit this one I'm going to make it twice yeah. as long I'm going to do yes. another that verse is a bit shit I'm going to do another thing and it's a mm. constantly evolving product where it's sort of like you know sometimes people might enjoy the things that you don't necessarily think are your finest output that's right yeah but and then also, you go and listen to it on the streaming service and the song that you like just doesn't exist anymore it's completely yeah. changed yeah I mean that's like you say like if you're still looking at albums as a product that you're going to release, then artistic product means making decisions about yep. it. You have to commit to it, as you say, even though that means risking that looking back later on and knowing that some of that's not perfect. Yeah. Or, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure there'll be a day soon where I read an interview with some Gen Z musician and they just say, I don't, I'm just not going to, I don't do albums, I just do songs. Like, yeah. I don't really understand why I have to release yeah, I think it's, songs I think in 12 things. It seems like the only reason yeah. people put out albums is that the people that review music are still accustomed to reviewing music in 10 block chunks yeah. once a year. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you just trickle out you know, music, or like Kanye, like, why put out Donda? Just do the songs one at a time. When you are happy with each song, put each song out. Yeah, exactly. It's just that it seems like albums still kind of generate a bit more buzz. All the people who promote shit are still using the bits of this old model and their model is still based around the idea of building up to a once-a-year thing. So, yeah, yeah. you know, but... Even now, artists make most of their money off touring anyway. So, yeah. you know, yeah... For sure, if if songs are just a promotional tool f tool for tours, mm. then you're right. The album or really or exist. all you care about is streaming numbers, so that you can say this song yep. got to this point. Then why does it matter if it comes yep. out in a package with ten other songs? That, yeah. yeah. Anyway, 
But I look, like albums. I really do. I, I, I kind of bemoan the death of albums. I'm a bit sad about that sort of thing. But, yeah, it just seems like eventually people are just going to go, well, why are we doing this anymore if they yeah. don't? And, and why, like, 10, 10 songs is just an arbitrary number generated by the amount of time we could fit on physical media. Oh, exactly. You know? Exactly right. Even exactly. when CDs came out, it just coincidentally happened that the storage space on a CD was round about 10 decently recorded songs worth, so we just stuck with 10 songs yep. for 50 years. And yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But fortunately, if people wanted to throw a couple of extra ones they could but yeah you're right exactly it's, it's sort of like he could put out Donda 2 and just have six different versions of each fucking song if he wanted because yep. it's just you can only get it off his streaming thing anyway so it's just a file it doesn't matter how you know well that was I mean that's the thing though you've mentioned Kanye here but he's done sort of slightly different things twice the first yeah the first time he I think when he released the out a different album on title, and then he sort of would change it period just change yep. it daily or whatever and go I've changed that song I've done that and then when he released Donda 2 it was you could only get it on his own <laughs> fucking like iPod knockoff <laughs> and then even that I think had like a couple of songs on it and then there'll be more to be added at a later date and we're going to remix this and it's all changing and it's just like fuck that man I just want to I just want to get the album I just want to listen to the album so it sort of it does seem quite but then I guess people can make the argument that look when you're the artist you can do what you want with the art so if your decision is it's you know songs are in a state of flux I can change them as I want it's my creation I can do whatever I want I guess I can understand that but you don't want to say I really like this song and then the next time you hear it on the radio it's like Oh, fucking hell, no, it's a totally different no. thing. Or going to, paying to see someone live and then they go on stage and they play all the songs but they're all different yeah. to the ones that you like. Yeah. I, I know, I, I prefer it to have occurred like in this kind of organic way mm. as opposed to, you know, a bunch of record companies just going, oh, we're not doing albums anymore. You know, it's at yeah. least it's happening in this weird, in eccentric creative, kind yeah. of organic way. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Does this sort of thing, though, lead to the Schneider cut where um, yeah, where, well, people, where a movie comes out and people are like, oh, not as good as I hope, and someone else goes, oh, let's just recut it fans, and make it. F- yeah, people listen to fans complaining too much and go, oh. But I guess in music, it's a, but people, I guess fans can always remix their own <laughs> art. Like well, their, I mean, with something like... music, if they I mean, want, Taylor right? re-recorded all her own songs, yeah. which seems like an incredibly um, self-indulgent thing to do for yeah. someone who's already got money just as a way to piss off your record company. Yeah. But on the other hand, if, you know, a million people buy that, then you think, well, if her fans wanted her to do that, then you can't argue with that. She's, she's a popular all, yeah. musician. Like, and she's playing else? the long game as well, where it's like, all of my material will be on... Spotify and because I, I will own the rights to all yes. of this and she'll just say to fans listen to my versions not the other ones yeah, please and she'll right. make the money off that so and yeah, she's she, not banning the other ones either no you no, no still they're still out there old just ones. sort of yeah. yeah so look spite can take you far Tom and clearly <laughs> she despises the people that currently own her music so she's like fuck you I'm going to re-record the whole thing so anyway power to her but yeah so look yeah, good call on Kanye. He's, he's fallen off a cliff. So I just I wasn't specifically trying to give shit to him. I just sort of thought it was interesting how that yep. has sort of, but like a bit like um, a bit like Axl Rose taking fucking twelve years to make Chinese Democracy. One person's craziness kind of sounds the death knell of this. Yeah, you know, of this this way of releasing music. You know, which is just based in tradition more than anything. Tradition and. 
physical uh, media's limitations. Yeah. Know? But it is sort of cool, though, I think, that how an Axel Rose is um, probably in the best position to do this is when you have such a massive album as Appetite for Destruction and then you follow up with, you know, two... Mm. Instead of releasing a double album, you've released two single albums so the, the record label is getting significantly more money than if you'd just done. So yeah. they're, they're like, you've made us so much money over the years, we will afford you the, the decade yeah. and the tens of millions yes. or however much money it costs. So... He was probably just like, you know, no one else gets to do this. No one else gets to fuck around in the studio for <laughs> oh, 10 no. years. I'm glad and, he and did re-record it. I, that, it's so. a pity it wasn't better. No. But I, am, but, <laughs> yeah, hey, exactly. I do not begrudge Tool for taking fucking a decade to write Fear Inoculum. I, I would say it was worth it personally, but you know. They they take a long time for different reasons than Axel Rose, I dare say. <laughs> yes. Probably just sort of having other creative endeavours and whatever. But yeah, for sure. No, very interesting. Um Kanye, side note, I did read that Adidas have got like a billion dollars worth of Yeezys stashed away in a fucking <laughs> warehouse somewhere and they've finally decided that they're going to sell them and then donate the money to charity or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, oh, they'll just wait a bit to see if he gets properly cancelled or whether he just goes Can make back it bounce, yeah, yeah, bounce back. I mean, I heard that he watched Superbad or something a couple of weeks ago and decided that he does like Jewish people after all now, so, you know... <laughs> <laughs> my wife actually well done, my man. wife actually told me that but so like she heard like an interview or something with Jonah Hill and he was like yeah sort of I think someone asked him he said do you feel Jonah Hill do you feel good that um, Kanye likes Jewish people now or something or maybe it was Seth Rogen I can't remember it was one yeah. of the two and they were like I guess <laughs> I mean it's better than not but yeah I mean it's not the best way to hear your name being used in public is it? it's such a wild <laughs> idea as well that it's like oh, I hated all the Jews but then I saw Superbad and I'm like I'm on board with the Jews now it gives <laughs> you a pretty good demonstration of where his attention span is currently at as well yeah. yeah exactly right so look it's good to know though if he rails against any other you know race or whatever yeah you, you just, just throw a pair of shiny car yeah. keys past yeah. him and he gets instantly distracted I hate all Indian people it's like oh you'd send him to a Bollywood film and he's like oh I've changed my mind I love it <laughs> or I've had a really delicious curry oh I'm good with it I'm good with him now I so mean, that's you, all he needs you could make the argument that this is a very high speed version of what happens with normal people it's just that it's much slower so you don't notice it as much and they don't talk about it on public on the microphone as yeah much. <laughs> yeah Anyway, Definitely. Uh, what else have you got? Um, Tom, I have... Uh, got any crazy shit? Things have really gone downhill since LaBouche quit the Game Award. <laughs> it goes to Usher featuring Pitbull. The DJ's got us falling in love again. Okay. If you know that dance track. I do baby, not. tonight, the DJ's got us falling in love oh, again. Baby. Um, terrible. So I think we need to get... But for... I... I that's I hope where it's, it's about gone. Usher and Pitbull falling in love with you. Well, that's what I, I assume that's what it is about. I assume, but the, the question is, though, Tom, when did Usher and DJ uh, Pitbull sorry, fall out of love? I don't know when. Yeah. You know, I thought they've, they've just always been that's in love. That's true. It's the, again, at the end, implies yeah. that, you know, they were ructions. Yeah, yeah. They were together and mm. then, you know, they broke up and now they're back together. Perhaps so. uh, Will I Am came between them, mm. as we'll discuss possibly later on. But look, so I lamented this song because I thought that Eurodance had gone downhill, but mm. now that there's a Eurodance renaissance, I'm sort of a little bit less 
angry about this song, I think. So that still sucks shit. But um, <laughs> I think the point is that uh, we know that there's sort of some young people mm-hmm. operating in that Eurodance sphere that sort of, you know, have taken it and pushed it into sort of new levels, I think. Mm-hmm. So definitely. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, craziest shit of the decade? Oh, yeah, please. Uh, my personal... Uh, there was... At, compared to the compared to the nineties and the eighties, I reckon there was less, or rather, there was a lot of crazy shit, but it was more of the manufactured craziness, yep. as opposed to the kind of inadvertent craziness. Uh, you know, there's the Lady Gaga telephone video where she stands in a prison yard, half head naked, modelling a pair of sunglasses made of lit cigarette butts. Oh yeah. Uh, there's Tovalo's disco tits video, which features her getting eaten out by a coked up muppet. <laughs> Uh, CeeLo Green trying to get people to uncancel him by showing up at the Grammys painted head to toe in gold and saying he's now called Gnarly Davidson. Uh, Jay-Z getting beaten up by his wife's sister in an elevator. Uh, That fire festival thing we sponsored, remember that? (laughs) That, (laughs) Apparently that didn't go quite as well as we hoped. I didn't really, after the check had cleared, I wouldn't really pay attention. It's a shame. But I'm going to have to give it to my personal vote for a guy named Kevin Antoine Dodson. Yep. Uh, in 2010, Kev was aged 26 and living with his family in the Lincoln Park project when someone climbed into his sister's second-story window and tried to rape her before being scared off. Uh, when local news showed up to investigate, uh, he was tired, fraught and emotional and uh, delivered the impassioned news to the camera that, well, obviously we have a rapist in Lincoln Park, he's climbing in your windows, he's snatching your people up, trying to rape him, so you'll need to hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband, because they're raping everybody out here. Uh, insanely, the video of Dodson's television interview on local TV news went viral, and then inspired several pre-TikTok music remixes, including a video by the Gregory Brothers, known as the Bed Intruder song. <laughs> that song was a huge success, sold 250,000 copies, and reached number 89 on Billboard's Hot 100, Fucked despite it. being the extended mix of a 75-second auto-tune joke of a guy talking about his sister getting almost raped. The popularity of the, the, <laughs> the song inspired many further covers and remixes, including the intro song to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and a punk rock cover version by a supergroup of Hayley Williams from Paramore, Jordan Pundick of Newfound Glory, and Ethan Luck of Reliant K. Antoine went on to perform the song at the BET Awards and be interviewed around the world. He also earned enough scratch to achieve his original stated goal, moving his family out of an area where you can't sit down to watch Bluey without first hiding your kids, your wife, and your (laughs) husband, lest rapists be snatching them up. Uh, say what you like about the 2010s, Ben, but that could not have happened in any other decade. No, that's true. That's true. That sequence of events, it just simply was not possible for that to happen anywhere else. Absolutely. It's a very catchy song as well, I think. So. <laughs> hide your kids, hide your... I mean, it's just his delivery. Like, even stressed out and angry and tired and stuff, he just delivers it in this kind of weird, yeah. weirdly kind of organic and rhythmical way. But yeah. it also created, I think, in essence, sort of a new genre of music, which is the hyped-up uh, news interview which then people will then auto-tune yeah, and add. like there's, yes. there's been other ones sub- this is probably one of the original ones but I think there's been I subsequent how long are- ago that was yep. that was um, yeah 2010 and TikTok didn't even come out till 2018 mm. so the idea of people met, you know 
fake singing along to someone else's vocals wasn't even a thing. Yep. As you say, I mean, auto-tune was still relatively new at that point. And yeah, but yeah, that, that joke, the joke about, oh, I did something stupid on the news and now somebody's put a techno yeah, beat underneath yeah. the, <laughs> the weirdest part yeah. of it. Yeah. Exactly right. And it kind of goes with that Vine thing of just making a joke out of clipping just three seconds of someone's voice just doing one little weird yeah. inflection and that yeah. becomes the joke. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Um, the award, Tom, for the reboot soundtrack is better than the original soundtrack <laughs> goes to Fallout Boy for their rendition of Ghostbusters. Oh, uh, God. the reboot, rebooted Ghostbusters. Not the most recent reboot. Um, the the yep. previous reboot. Oh, which what's uh, I think this is the the most recent one had the Stranger Things kids in it. The one before that had the female Ghostbusters. I think this is the all female. This is the the all female one. Yeah, exactly. So look, I'm I'm not going to talk about the film because people obviously <laughs> have their own opinions about the film. Some but, people do certainly, but. Fallout Boy doing Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters <clears throat> is one of the worst things that I've heard in recent memory. It's so great, it? it's pretty bad. Um, pop punk mm. doing Ghostbusters doesn't work. So as far as I'm aware, Ray Parker is still alive. And yeah, exactly. two thirds of Run DMC is still alive who yep. did the Ghostbusters 2 remix. Could have just know. got them to do it. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Uh, you got any bad lyrics? Um, I do, Tom. So um, I've got best lyrics of the decade. Oh, sure. I don't have that. So knock yourself out. Um, best lyrics of the decade. Um, we've we've talked a little bit about um, Atlanta rap. Oh we yes, we did. Yeah. So I think predominantly through the lens of Outcast that yep. had their song um, "Hey Ya." Uh, that wasn't this decade. That was previous to that. But obviously. Um, after Outcast, they were one of the pioneers, I guess, starting in the 90s and keeping on going. But now we've got Atlanta rap and the trap scene out of Atlanta has grown from strength to strength. Yep. It's quite popular now. You know, we know a lot of... Um, we've talked a bit about the Migos eating out Katy Perry. <laughs> um, one of them is dead now, RIP. Like two Amigos, but, yep. Yeah, there's a lot of... A I lot never of, get sick of that joke and I refuse to stop saying <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> a lot of stuff coming out of Atlanta, um, including Little Yachty. Tom, yes. you're familiar with Little, yep. Little Yachty, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Little Yachty um, released a single a few years ago called Peekaboo, which featured the, the great lyrics, she blow that dick like a cello. <laughs> which makes absolutely no sense no, whatsoever. No, um, but the great thing about it is that he was asked about this and he said, you know, what's up with the, the lyrics in Peekaboo, you blow that dick like a cello. And this is quite what Little Yachty had to say. Before you come at me, I'm going to let you know, I blame my A&R. He listened to that song many times and he allowed me to say that. I guess for a second, I thought a cello was a woodwind instrument and it's not. Okay. And nobody ever said shit. Nobody ever pulled up a pick and said, hey man, I don't know if you know what this is, but it ain't that. I fucked up. I thought Squidward from uh, SpongeBob SquarePants played the cello. He didn't. That's a flute. (laughs) 
Yeah, I fucked up. <laughs> so, power to him. It sounds like maybe he was thinking a cello and an oboe. Getting, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, power to him for actually He's just like, it, even if he did blame it on his A&R guy. But so, yeah. the lyrics make no sense the, at all. The Fantastic. Is, and then he's just like, yeah. You're talking about Atlanta rap. That sounds exactly like a joke from Atlanta, the TV show. Yeah, That exactly. they would have about a rapper not knowing what an instrument is and his posse being too scared of him to say <laughs> to, do you? That's not what a over with and then it gets yeah. released and he's like oh fuck you guys you could have told me well that uh, segs nicely into my worst lyrics award hip hop edition oh yeah um, according to Seat Smart analyst Andrew Powell Morse in 2015 pop songs barely require a second grade education to understand them his analysis relies solely on a song's readability score which allows you to plug in a piece of text and have it spit back an average grade level mm. based solely on the relative difficulty of its individual words. So, yeah, in looking at 225 songs that have spent more than three weeks on the Billboard charts, he found that country music lyrics had the highest degree of difficulty thanks to their general exclusion of filler words like oh yeah or oh yeah. Mm. Uh, all told, country has an average reading level of 3.3, followed by pop and rock tied at 2.9 and R&B and hip-hop coming in last at 2.6. Of course, this is an overly simplistic way of measuring the intelligence of music and means that a word like cigarette is sort of smarter than, you know, Baudelaire or something um, because it's got more syllables, that Foo Fighters are supposedly a dumber band than Nickelback ah. or that the brainiest song in the rock category is Danny California by Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> the chorus of which is California rest in peace, simultaneous release, California show your teeth, she's my priestess, I'm your priest. Mm. The people I feel sorry for are the bin collectors who pick up the recycling from Anthony Kiedis' house, you know, because every week that dumpster must be overflowing with crumpled maps of California just glued together with semen bin. <laughs> that guy really needs to, you know, start seeing other cities, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, do you think top ten lyrics are getting dumber, like, over time, compared to the ones we did in the 80s and the 90s? Um, yeah, good question. Um, look, the 80s obviously had extremely highbrow lyrics, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, but, you know, case in point, I guess, you know, the entire oeuvre of, um, you know, say, you know, as you mentioned before, the two live crew, Tom, I think, sort of, they would have been yeah. pumped out some matching there. But, yeah, I don't know. Are they getting stupid? The songs are getting worse. The lyrics are probably as bad as ever been. I don't know whether they're getting simpler in terms of easier to understand, but there is a lot of, like... Uh-huh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Nicki Minaj, though, um, she's using NyQuil <laughs> in the song, so... I think you'd need a more sophisticated way of measuring than that. Yeah. You'd need to look at song structure and stuff as yeah. well. You wanted to see if songs were getting musically dumber. Yeah. Because they certainly seem to be getting musically, or at least production, more complicated. Yeah. I mean, like, stuff from the 60s and 70s, a lot of that was very simple yeah, and yeah. basic, you know, but, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know. that's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, hip-hop's a, a difficult one as well because there's a lot more rap, um, as we've mentioned, in the charts. And, I mean, how do they judge that? Because a, a lot of the thing about hip-hop is you're trying to get things to rhyme, so you're going to be using misspellings yes. or slight mispronunciations to try and get, you know, that cadence and, you know, rhyme scheme yeah. correct. So, but I think hip... But it, there's more, like... 
there's going to be a lot more words in a hip hop, a three minute hip hop song versus a three minute Beatles song. There's going yes. to be a lot more lyrics in there. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree before. that they'd be simpler, but I yeah. said it wrong before too. I meant that like, according to his weird metric, like longer words are smarter than yeah, yeah. shorter words, which is not necessarily true. Cigarettes, for instance, would be smarter than you know a two-syllable word that less people have heard of, you know. Yeah. But Pop country is always real stupid. It's always like, yeah, I'm well, that's in the what truck, I thought as drinking well. a beer, and she's got a small jeans on, like yeah. some horse it, shit like it that. It just so. sounds like a dumb, he's used a dumb metric to say something that people have suspected, which allows people to, you know, you know. And Flowrider's got some of the most intelligent <laughs> lyrics going, so... Well, given that hip-hop, as we've noted previously, <laughs> dominated the landscape in yep. the 2010s, the pop music landscape, seems only fair to pan uh, some of the lyrical gold that oh. the world of rap gave us across the decade. Uh, some of my favourites... She got a big booty, so I call her Big Booty. It's two chains. Uh, I'm a millionaire, but I don't know how to read. Little pump. She blow that dick like a cello. Oh, yoddy. yoddy in there. Your booty is heavy duty like diarrhea. Eminem. That bitch pussy so bald, I asked her, did she have cancer? B. Lou. I'm trying to get my son some head while he's one years old. That's young boy. I cannot vibe with queers. That's wife and Lucci. <laughs> Got so many chains, they call me Chaining Tatum, Drake, <laughs> or someone else, if Jesus you believe me. Uh, put Molly in all her champagne, she ain't even know it. I took her home and I enjoyed that, she ain't even know it. That's Rick Ross. <laughs> Drop a know. pill in her drink like Bill. Smash her on the first night, I bet I will. That's Young Dolph. Uh, I feel like, I let you feel like you the shit, but boy, you can't out fart me that's J. Cole I'm a go hard like a motherfucking boner that's Will I Am take your clothes off baby let me see what you got we can have a good time if you're legal or not that's 93 punks or possibly white snake can't Jesus. quite tell I got terabytes of hentai saved on my brain that's a little meerkat which sounds like I made him up but I didn't she's doing tricks with her pussy I guess she's a magician it's logic uh, I woke up in the morning hard like morning wood in the morning. That's Will I Am again. Fucking <laughs> hell. I keep a chopstick, but I'm not Chinese. NLE chopper. Rape a pregnant bitch and tell my friends I had a threesome. Tyler the creator. Jeepers. Tell a jealous chicken I don't know what the beef is. I'm just making money for my grandkids' nieces. I'm a work hard. That's my basis. This beat is shit. Feces. That's Will I Am again. Uh, I should point out all three of those Will I Am were from the same song. That's just <laughs> Will I Am. Which song was that? Uh, it's called The or T H E, which stands for the hardest ever, which yeah, is just yeah. a bunch of euphemisms about how hard he is. It's debatable. Like well, everything about like that sort of. Yeah, I yeah. woke up in the morning hard like morning wood in the morning. So you know, he's one of our greatest. Our greatest <laughs> he very geniuses. much is. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, like, it's hard to know. He's, he's the Oscar Wilde of our generation, I dare say. <laughs> he is, yes. Yep. He's very humble, that's what I like. <laughs> he's got new tickets on himself. <laughs> he is, absolutely. Who did he, uh, do we know who he AB'd for the lyrics for, for <laughs> THG? What, what was he listening well, to? What I was he... didn't have the guts to listen to the whole song, so oh, gee, yeah. know, it probably gets to a bit where you just probably, go, He was probably uh, listening to the live crew pop that... <laughs> pop that coochie and then he was a being that to get the vibe of that i'm work hard that's my basis this beat is a sheet 
feces. Yeah. I mean, not that's, only that, it doesn't even tier. rhyme with basis. That's, <laughs> that's the that's what I like about Will. I am though, you know, the attention to detail is so lacking because he's more of he's a big picture man. You know what I mean? Mm. So he's sort of like he's focusing so much on the overall theme of the album and, and how it's going to sound <laughs> and thematically what That's it's about right. that small details like actually getting the words mm. to rhyme it's you know it's it, it's he's not, he's not a details man That's right. he doesn't need that sort of stuff yeah um yeah uh well I'm sort of getting towards my sort of uh best song worst song okay. type of thing but yeah, I'm I mean, getting close you, you go um the heavy music is alive and well Tom oh, Award glad to hear it. goes to um, Vampires Everywhere for their track Immortal Love, Tom. Now, what if I told you that <laughs> someone took um, the vampire themes that were so popular in the 2000s and smashed them together with um, terrible auto-tuned metalcore hey, to vampire produce... Vampire themes, do you mean like the themes to like Twilight and stuff. Yeah, imagine imagine a auto tuned metalcore band um, entirely <laughs> based on Twilight, effectively. Okay, maybe more like True Blood. Great, like classier like that. So, <laughs> sure. so that's what Vampires Everywhere represented, Tom. Um, they were very much at the vanguard of that vampire metal theme, which has really taken off and gone quite far. So, mm-hmm. what I like about them as well is that the members of the band um, they all had pseudonyms, of course, as you need to. So when you're in a vampire-themed band, you've got Zack Knight. <laughs> of course you do. Of course. Um, on lead guitar. You've got um, Philip Cross. Okay. Because the vampires don't like crosses. Mm. You've got DJ Black. Okay. Aaron Graves. Yep. So that's the original lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the vocalist probably had to think quite long and hard for his nom de plume when he went with Michael Vampire. Oh, I was hoping for Gary Garlick. <laughs> yes, Michael no. Vampire is actually possibly worse than I Gary Garlick. I believe it's terrible because <laughs> it shows almost no thought. We're in a vampire-themed no. <laughs> band. What are you going to call yourself? Michael he, Vampire? He couldn't, he couldn't even think of the single most popular vampire of all time. The, the one that everybody, all other vampires are derived from, e.g. to call himself Mike Dracula... Could have or been something. Mike Dracula, <laughs> you know. Just uh, even Blade, I would have been yeah. happy with that. <laughs> Michael Blade, just Blade the Immortal, just call yourself that. Exactly Blade. right. Silver Bull, anything. Michael There's so Va- much to go Michael for in this way. Michael Vampire. What's your band called? Vampires everywhere. What's your pseudonym? Michael Vampire. It's like just show. It shows a, a lack of attention to detail. Unless maybe, much like the music itself. Unless so. maybe he joined the band assuming that it was going to be a Ramones type of band <laughs> yeah. where all members of the band adopted a fake surname on the idea that they were all part of some sort of pseudo family yep. or clones I never quite figured out whether the Ramones were meant to be related or clones yeah. Yeah. Vampires Everywhere, they're still going now Tom, they've had a few hiatuses, they've got uh, I believe 16 former members which shows... Um, <laughs> Just the quality and calibre of wow, this. Wow, there Ma- really are vampires Michael Vampire is the only original <laughs> member. Um, the other three members of the band are all joined in 2021, so they're recently new to this vampire thing. Do you think it's um, possible he kicks someone out the second they make fun of his name? And probably, that's why there's 16 ex-members? Um, they've also, the newer members have, have not... Some of the, some of the other members, there was... Um, 
David Dark, Darko Hernandez, Aaron <laughs> Graves Martin. You know, so they, they mm. stuck with that sort of theme. Joshua JJ Gunn Ingram. So they stuck with that name. The new members are just called Craig Pirtle, Tyler Stratton, and Jesse Smith. Boo. So they've Boo. not even followed it's through with the. I think that show, they've probably said, I'm not going to be in this for very long, so I'm not going to bother <laughs> adopting a vampire style pseudonym. So if I was going to be in a band with someone called Michael Vampire, I'd be like, give me a pseudonym this instant. Yeah. Because I don't want anyone to know who I am. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> for I, don't, I want my true identity <laughs> concealed, please. So. Look, if you're into generic metalcore um, and, yeah, True Blood, then definitely check out Vampires Everywhere. I think you're going to enjoy that. So they're my award for... For... The, the, for, for metal, the, the you know, heavy music is alive as well. It was a very, very close second between them, uh, hotly contested with Falling in Reverse um, and their song alone. You might not be familiar with <laughs> Falling in Reverse, but they're they're one of the van. They're still going today as well. Very very terrible generic metalcore um, with you know a bit of auto tune and some terrible singing. I quite like but... their singer, their lead singer Steve Werewolf though. I think <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, what I like about that Falling in Reverse song, Tom, is that um, he indicates that the haters, you know, yeah. You know, fuck the haters, fuck you guys, because, um, quote, what you spend in 15 months, I spend in 15 minutes. Okay. So, and I've run the sums on that, Tom. <laughs> um, and assuming, you know, a conservative estimate, you spend $1,000 a week, say, let's just, oh, okay. let's, let's just say, on say that. basic necessities. Just basic sure. necessities. It's about 50 grand a year, so... Over the course of um, you know fifth you know about sixty thousand dollars in fifteen months, effectively yep. something around that sort of range. So he's dropping sixty grand uh, every fifteen minutes. So that means in a calendar year he spends two billion dollars, which sounds a little bit excessive <laughs> for someone in a in a terrible metalcore band. Mm, so mm. maybe an that's Elon just Musk outgoing as well. So he's not investing no, that. He's no, just no, that's purely just, that's just spending pure. it. So, every, yeah. so you know. Um, that's what he does. So in a calendar, he's dropping two bill. So I'm not sure about that. Based on the song, uh, he definitely can't be. <laughs> but, you know, he's got a lot of tattoos. So maybe he's dropping oh, that on the tats, I oh, think. Okay. So so heavy music is alive and well in this decade. Definitely check out Vampires Everywhere and uh, Falling in Reverse. Both great artists with so much <laughs> to offer. All right, Tom, what have you got? Um, well, I've, I've got my best song, my worst song. Cool. That's pretty much it, really. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm down to the last little couple as well, so for sure. For Do you want to? Um, oh yeah, cool, no problem. Um, look, Tom, I've got worst song of the decade. This is a tough one. It is a tough one. I know there was a lot of quality. I was going to go for something that we spoke about. Um, one of the the number one songs that we talked about this decade because there were so many. I mean, oh God. LMFA, oh, yeah. <laughs> anything will I am affiliated? Yeah. Technically, Black classic IPs Black related. Eyed Peas. Yeah. A lot of that bullshit. A lot of just really bland horse shit as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Dance Monkey is also inexcusably dog shit. But for me, Tom, I've gone for the song that I've gone for. Um, the reason I've selected this one is predominantly because 
I think it's a really rare occurrence for a song to become incredibly dated between the recording and mixing process. Oh, okay. I think it's sort sure. of it's quite a rare feat for someone to record a song yeah. and then the producer in the band says, Okay, great. Got that down on tape. I'm away for the weekend. Monday morning we'll come in, we'll mix that. And within <laughs> that forty eight hour period you get back and everyone associated with it just went yeah, I don't know whether this is great anymore. I think this is probably a bit dog shit. I'm sure that happens from time to time in terms of quality, but mm. in terms of actually being dated, um, yeah. So this song, uh, Worst of the Decade, for my mind, is Heart to Heart with their classic track, Facebook Official Tom. Oh, crikey, yes. So we've spoken <laughs> about this briefly before. This is the apparently the brain um, behind this was Lance Bass of NSYNC, purportedly. Yes. So this is a song that the lyrics discuss such things as updating your Facebook status to show that you're official, mm. uh, you're in love with someone. So, yes. which is which is you know, pretty shit. Uh, I think also, now it sounds dated, it but was, at the time, yeah, it was barely even used as an expression at no. the time. Like it no. never really passed into common parlance. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, anytime the lyrics of a song feature such things as um, I'm going to agree to your terms of service, then you know you're on a slippery slope to complete dog shit. You'd mentioned this song before and I had to listen to it because of that. And what struck me was not just the Facebook official thing, but the number of other neologisms then, then not even current, but just like... The shit that dates it, as as we were talking about before, it's like they've done it on purpose. They've gone, all right, how many sort of buzzwords yep. like can we stick into this one song? And, yeah. Exactly. Now, the heart-to-heart story, for my mind as well, is quite an interesting one, which is another reason why mm. I've sort of brought this band up um, as the worst song of the decade. The song is complete dog shit. Yeah, but, it's um, The heart-to-heart members, they've gone for some... Michael Vampire level <laughs> pseudonyms on this. So sure. um, we've got Chad Future, we've got Swag General, mm-hmm. Pretty Boy Pete, mm-hmm. then we've got um, just Braden. They couldn't be bothered <laughs> thinking of a name for him. He's from Auntie Donna. Yeah. And then uh, KX. So, and each of them had a role. So, lead producer. Chad Future, the Swag General, Pretty Boy Pete, um, the rapper, actor Braden, acrobat is Nico, <laughs> and then the lead dance choreographer is KX. Now, probably the best thing that I like about Fate Heart to Heart, Heart to Heart have gone on to do absolutely sweet fuck all. No mm-hmm. one's really known about what's going on. Now, when this song dropped, there was a little bit of a sort of, is this a parody type thing because it was so bad it was yeah, so dog shit yes. like everything about it was like this the the choreographed moves are bad the dudes sort of look yeah. like they, they, they the people the, in the band look like someone tried to make a you know a boy band but they had yes. to put it together in an afternoon and could only get people off facebook marketplace i and hate sort of to just, bring it up again because i always bring it up but it does look a lot like something from josie and the pussycats <laughs> yeah. the joke the joke music production companies. And and another thing that's like that as well is making everything about just a, a series of buzzwords as well. Yep. Sounds like a joke that an old person would make about a boy band. Yep. It was like everything has to be 
this minutes yep. coolest thing, you know. So it was so bad that um, people did speculate if it was a parody. <laughs> yep. And Lance Bass pulled uh, Tommy Wise out oh, okay. and said, "Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a parody. It's on purpose. It's sure. on purpose. It was just a, it's a parody band. It's a joke." I'm um, just, you know, it's meant to be funny all along. Mm. And everyone went, oh, okay, thanks, Lance. <laughs> um, Chad Future was interviewed about a year after Facebook Official came out. And he said it was completely 100% serious. Mm. I wanted to try and combine some K-pop elements with old school American boy bands and put that together. And everyone in the group were completely serious about the whole thing. Yeah. And... <laughs> so we were legitimately into doing this as a career it didn't work out and now I'm personally doing some other stuff yeah, but at least he's he, honest. he was honest he said no it wasn't a parody <laughs> it was legitimately good and I think that shows the quality of a music sort of output when people are meet the first thing they think is oh this has to be a joke it's so dog shit yeah. there's no way that this can be serious <laughs> um, and look it worked for Tommy Wiseau he's been, he's been fucking living off you know Ah, oh, it's just a bit funny type thing. Haha, <laughs> it's meant to be shit. Everyone knows that it's not, wasn't meant to nah. be shit. But he did roll that and it worked out well for him. Unfortunately for uh, Heart to Heart, they didn't do much beyond Facebook officially. No, and they had another well, single or two. Neither did Lance Bass, to be honest. No, <laughs> no, exactly. So I wasn't sure as well whether Lance Bass was sort of pulling the, um, you know, when the exploited become the exploiter. I was going to say, it's one of those situations where you think, has he gone into this thinking, well, I was exploited, so I can do this right. You know, yep. I'll do it in a way where they're not exploited. You know, they can have their own roles in the band and I'll make sure they all get fair treatment. Yeah. Or was at the back of his mind thinking, hmm, well, if that fat creep could make it work, maybe I can make it work. <laughs> Basically How so hard can it be? I was in Edsync for years <laughs> and made no money because some dude stole it all from me. What if I could steal the money? Mm, and by steal, mm. I mean, you know, set up a convoluted <laughs> contract where I'm able to extract as much money from yeah. heart to heart as possible. The problem with Lance's plan was that... Um, the, the output needs to be of a quality that yes. people are going to buy yeah. it. So for order to you to, you know, steal or, you know, ex- take money out of an enterprise, it has to actually make that money in the first yeah. place. Uh, unfortunately, heart to heart, we're unable to generate what, from I can see, any revenue. So, yeah. you know, 20% of nothing is still nothing, Lance. When was that again? Uh, I think it was about 2011. Yeah. Early I mean, in the decade. Even by that point... Boy bands have been on the way out for a, you know, yeah. a good five to ten years, and they've almost disappeared now. Like it, yeah. I mean, yep. you can say, well, there's K-pop, but the fact is, K-pop sort of is a special little niche of its own, which still hasn't, you know, it hasn't gone to the top of the charts in yep. Western countries. But yeah, to think, oh, you know, I can keep this NSYNC slash Backstreet Boys train a rolling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Blimp uh, flying. Yeah. So good on Heart to Heart and Lance for just mm. creating something so terrible <laughs> that people assumed it was a parody, and for being worse than all those Will I Am songs. Yes, and good on uh, Chad Not Kroger for being willing to admit that it was actually true and that they were trying quite hard. It takes yep. it takes guts to admit that. Exactly. Yeah. Now, in case you're wondering just how bad this actually is, the opening line for this song, Tom, mm-hmm. is log on, MySpace is dead. I'm checking your page to see what you said. Mm. So there you go. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really. Heart to heart 
is back. Facebook <laughs> chat popping on my Mac. You see what I mean? How Jesus. many fucking references to immediately dated shit can you fit into one song? <laughs> um, Facebook Messenger still exists though, so I guess they have the foresight to know that was going to be long term. That's but... true. And of course, MySpace is still huge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, was my worst song I mean there were some crackers this decade oh, weren't yeah. there it would be easy to list pretty much anything written by Kid Rock Drake DJ Khaled Fergie or Flo mm-hmm. Rida if you me I know Flo Rida has some fans in this room but yeah yeah. but there's a difference between stuff that is terrible in an entertaining way yeah. stuff that's terrible in a boring way like Ed Sheeran or just 100% pure horticultural grade bullshit and for that, I'm going to have to go with the Lifetime Achievement Award for Will I Am. <laughs> uh, not content with the many, many, many lyrical and musical crimes he committed as part of one of the millennia's shittest bands, Black Eyed Peas, Will I Am thought he could also bring that magic to other artists such as Usher on the song OMG Feet. Will. I. Am, which he wrote, produced, and sang on. So it's basically, it should be Will I Am featuring Usher, really, because yeah. it's, it's entirely him. Uh, the chorus gets us off to a good start. Baby, let me love you down. There's so many ways to love you. Baby, I can break you down. There's so many ways to love you. Got me like, oh my gosh, I'm so in love. I found you finally. You make me want to say, oh, 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 oh. Oh, 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 my gosh. Oh, 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 You remember when I said that Will I Am was an alien researching humanity who accidentally ended up in a pop rap group? Well, here he's thinking that what a human would do is rhyme down with down, you with you, love with O, and decide that three common human expressions for affection are let me love you down, I can break you down, and oh my gosh. It's like one of those AI photographs, Ben, you know? (laughs) It retains the general appearance of coherence, but every detail is slightly wrong, and the closer you look at it, the more ugly and disturbing it becomes. I think the Will 1X droid realises this at some level, so he decides to bring us back with the verses, you know, by elucidating every nuance of the white-hot sexual desire only a red-blooded human man could feel for an adult woman. Uh, honey got a booty like pow, pow, pow. Honey got some boobies like wow, oh, wow. You know, at least at least we can fall back on the sick beats on this track. Oh, hang on, Ben. They seem to have been replaced by someone accidentally nudging the Elmo Love hip-hop preset on a Muppet Baby's My First Keytar. The vocals sound like each word has been sampled onto a different light-up button and a toddler is just sort of slapping them along in what one might charitably describe as time to what might chari- one might charitably describe as the song. Yeah, I, that's my word for the decade I mean it is hard to narrow down Will I Am to one song but yeah that... yeah this is really bad I mean um, Honey got some boobies like wow oh wow yeah um, I mean... I'm surprised that Usher <laughs> didn't look at it and say I know Ugh. I know I, I, I have know a feeling that. like by this point Will I Am for whatever God knows fucking reason was it the height of his popularity. Every time I kept thinking, well, surely that fad has passed, yep. the next album would be huge. Whereas Usher, you know, he would still he would still have the odd appearance in the charts, but I think he was kind of 
tailing down a bit and maybe he was like, fuck it, I need the cash. You, you, know? think you might have recorded this under duress. I think you're right, Tom. But, but yeah, I mean, it seems suspicious to me that you've got a song that's written, produced and featuring someone else, but it goes down under your name. Yep. Like, it seems like maybe, yeah, Will I Am was trying to spread the love a bit by putting a gun to other artists' head and <laughs> trying to get them to take responsibility for his fucking dog shit. Oh, look, Will I Am is definitely probably the, the worst artist of the decade. He may have also been able to claim that in the decade before, I dare say, because um, there was some Black Eyed Peas bullshit back then as well. Oh, hell and yeah. And the problem with Will I Am, I think, as well, is that, you know, everyone likes to shit on, say, a Nickelback, but at least Chad Kroger keeps the dog shit self-contained within the Nickelback sort of That's package. Right. Yes. So it's all within that and then, you know, you can generally avoid Nickelback, you can avoid Will I Am. But mm. the problem sorry, yeah, uh, Chad, <laughs> but with Will I Am, he's got Black Eyed Peas. Yes. And then in the off year from Black Eyed Peas, he's going to drop a solo album. That's and right. then when he's not doing that, he's going to be writing songs for Usher or whatever. Yeah, so he's showing just, up on other people's I mean, records. People yeah. say that being prolific is a good thing, but when the, the output is so bad, I think I'd just rather Will I Am released his <laughs> ten best songs every five years if he rather, absolutely has to. Sure, if he has yes. to, uh, rather than just this, because you're absolutely correct. I mean, we haven't even mentioned like. Dirty bit where they took the theme from Dirty Dancing and tied it into yeah. smashed into some bullshit EDM garbage because as you mentioned, Will had just learnt about yeah. dance music. But yeah, this is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It doesn't even anything. It's not hip hop. It's not fucking EDM. It's mm. not an Usher song. Like it, it's not a R and B jam. It's just nothing. It's yep. just it just sounds like the preset fucking built in track on a synthesizer bought from a shop just playing and then some you know Usher deserves better than this and I don't have huge amount of respect for Usher but no. you know he deserves way better than this the problem with Will I Am I think for my mind as well is that older Black Eyed Peas did have an element of it, it kind of is it's it's music you know like it's sort of I'm not oh big, back in there back in the old stuff, yeah back yeah. in the old no, like I'm not like I'm a massive fan of that work but I have heard a few songs and they have a bit of a bounce and a bit of a flow and a bit of a sort of, yeah. you know, it's it's sort of, I guess they're trying to go for like a, I don't know, De La Soul type, some sort of hip hop yeah. that's, you know, Way I'm not, not yeah. going to sit down and listen to it possibly, but if it came on in a shop or I heard it on a radio or whatever, yeah, sure, you know, it's it, it has something to it, but then Will I Am deliberately chose to go against that yeah. to just release the worst music one can imagine. Like I so. said, I swear he just, one night he took he took pingers with Guetta yep. on holiday and that just rewired his brain and he just decided, oh, we don't need any kind of music. We can just, you just get fucking machines to do all of this and then I just, the tiny little bit of effort I was still putting in, fuck that noise from now. Yeah, you know? I mean, imagine, you know, being a sample-based musician and having to find the samples and then strip, stretch yeah. them out and change them and manipulate them to try and create Being electronic new. doesn't inherently mean it's worthless. No, no, I just no. mean it can be used by someone with no imagination who doesn't know what they're doing to make the laziest shit possible. Yeah. 
much exactly. like Guetta, for instance. Being a DJ doesn't necessarily mean you you do nothing, but you know, on the other hand, there are DJs who clearly stop giving a fuck ten minutes after they started, and yeah, exactly, having massive success, so feel no need to change that formula. Well, yeah, the public is to blame in essence, really. If if your oh, songs are yeah. extremely popular when they have no oh, effort put into them, I'm then an why would you put effort? I'm an Australian, them? and I will take. I I had I the amount of Black Eyed Peas that I'd heard when they were big was disturbing enough, but I had forgotten how many number one fucking chart hits they had in yep. this country. Like, I reckon more than America even. Like, there was, it was just a crazy amount. So someone in Australia is fucking buying this crap. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but look, Tom, there is a little bit of, uh, you know, sunshine coming out of the clouds. Sure. You know, and that is that since Fergie has left the group, I've noticed that they've had no hits. So... Mm. They're still releasing yeah. music, so for podcast purposes, hopefully we don't have to talk about them ever again because people don't really care for their new outfit. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good... That's a, <laughs> that's a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I am hoping that that fucking hip house genre is dying off a bit as we move into the 2020s. You know, oh. That that basic Miami slap together EDM pop rap stuff is, you know... It's, at least, it's, at least waning a bit. Yeah, exactly. It's seen a little bit of, you know. I don't go to enough r- nightclubs or drive in enough cars with subwoofers in them to really know, but yeah. Yep. So yeah, they released an album, The Black Eyed Peas, last year, twenty twenty two. Unfortunately, it produced no hits that anyone wanted to uh, hear. So, for our purposes, you know, we <laughs> we should be good to go. So yep. Um, they did release a single earlier this year with Daddy Yankee. Um, failed to chart in Australia, so that's okay. That is a shame. God, oh, shit. Australia's not interested. Fuck. They what? did it. Uh, 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 oh, they did a song called Simply the Best last year. I thought it might have been a Tina Turner <sighs> cover, but um, they didn't do it. Be. Pump It Louder, um, Won't You Worry with Shakira and David Guetta. So, yeah, they're still pumping out some hot garb, but <laughs> fortunately, we don't have to hear it, so that's okay. That's true. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. All right, Tom. Um, I've got my worst video of the decade. Oh, please go for it. I don't um, know if so you go. Katy Perry, Swish Swish. Yeah. What happens in this one? Remind me. I can't remember if I've seen well, this or not. What we have here, Tom, is an attempt at a humorous basketball theme music video that misses the mark by some margin oh, okay. uh, in terms of the comedy stakes. I guess to put it in basketball terms, it's like taking a shot from the free throw line and it ending up in the car park. It's um, pretty much just ineffective in anything, but she's gone for this. Wouldn't it be quirky if I put together myself and then a team of like other non-sporting looking people you know there's someone that's a little bit overweight to play basketball there's like a nerdy short person let's get all these guys together and Mm. then we're going to have a basketball game against someone else Um, and that's going to be the humour but it's about as funny as going to the doctor with like a stomach issue and thinking you might need a course of antibiotics and then finding out you actually have three weeks to live. Uh, Sort of about the comedy level of this music video. (laughs) So the song sucks absolute ass. Nicki Minaj shows up for a rap part in the bridge, which is the best part of the song. And When Nicki Nicki shows up and that's the best part of your song, then you know you've fucked up. 
Um, to put it in context, this was released immediately after Bon Appetit, the song that we've <laughs> spoken about before, yeah. um, you know, getting eaten out by the Migo. So it's quite the one-two punch from Katie mm. to sort of do Bon Appetit. Here's his food-based thing. I'm getting eaten out by the Migos. It's all terrible. I need to follow up with something better. What about a basketball song called Swish, where the lyrics are Swish, Swish, Bish, another one in the basket. Swish, Swish, Bish, another one in the casket. Makes no sense. Also, but... yeah, it's one of those things where it's sort of a bit like some of those Taylor Swift things. A, it makes you seem like you are under the mistaken impression that you're some sort of rapper who needs to be dropping diss tracks. Yeah. And B, it makes it similarly makes you think makes it sound as though you believe that people think you have some connection to basketball in some way. Like Correct. again, I guess a lazy person's. 20 year old idea of what hip hop is about yeah you know and then chuck in a Nicki Minaj verse just to remind people what it would sound like if that was actually true and make you seem even lamer and whiter by comparison oh exactly <laughs> completely also, ridiculous also no one ever said bish even at the time for Christ's sake bish 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 yeah, bish terrible. lasted about two weeks I think now it's funny you should mention Taylor and diss tracks because this is a diss track aimed at Taylor Swift there you go Apparently. Um, it's funny, when you so, brought up Nicki Minaj for a second, I was like, were they having it? Because I, I just for a moment lost track of who was meant to be angry at who out of that yeah. group of <laughs> musical artists that dominated the decade, or so I thought. Yeah. Because they all fought with each other at some point. So there was apparently the sort of backup dancers being taken from one or the other or whatever, and yeah. then Taylor Swift did a Katy Perry diss track, apparently, and then... Um, was that bad, bad blood? We spoke about. We did. Yeah, um, yeah. Or people speculated that yeah, it was about her. Exactly. So and they both came from similar backgrounds. They were both sort of teen Christian. Yeah. Sort of country tinge pop stars early off. So maybe yeah. they were a bit too close for comfort or something like a that. A word of advice though for Katy Perry: if you are going to do a diss track, um, diss track one hundred and one the class that you can take at, you know, any good university will teach you <laughs> that um, you need to make sure the diss track isn't straight garbage. That's sort of, yes. it's going to have more impact. Yeah. If you do a diss track and it's a good track, mm-hmm. you know, it might get a bit of traction. People are like, ooh, but when you do a diss track that's fucking so bad that yeah. no one wants to listen to it, then it sort of fails in its endeavour of like, I'm going to yeah. diss this person and people are going to hear it and they're going to hear how I'm talking shit about them. It's going to be so great. But if no one wants to listen to it, then the message is lost. That's right. Also, people really want to hear, a diss track either works if you're a plucky underdog yeah. fighting someone who's very popular that no one likes uh, somehow, or if you're uh, much tougher than someone else saying ha look at me I'm way more successful than you suck it which is punching down but at least it's accurate but if you're just someone who was until recently about the same level of fame as the other person now you're just waning a bit and the other person's getting a bit more popular than you it's just going to look like sour grapes really no matter what happens even if you're completely true it's just going to seem like you're complaining that they're more famous than you are yeah completely agreed 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 I think um, this was about the point where Katy Perry started to to tip down a bit for a while they were sort of you know it was like Lady Gaga Katy Perry and Taylor are all sort of neck and neck at the top of the white lady charts yep. and then they yeah yep. 
Katie's dropped a bit of trash. So look, I guess also it's 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 a diss track safe space. <laughs> white woman on white woman, I think. So yes. because in a, yeah. a hip hop, it has thing, no political context or anything. No, I, just... I feel like in in the hip hop realms, um, you can drop a diss track and you could get shot. You know, like there's actual oh, yeah, yes. there's actual shit at stake. You know <laughs> what I mean? Right. Biggie drops a diss track, next mm. thing you know, he's dead. Mm. You know, that sort of yep. situation. Whereas, you know, it's very low stakes, isn't it, for Katy Perry to be like, I'm going to do a diss track <laughs> against Ta- you know, Taylor Swift. Like, she's not going to end up in the fucking ground that's the next right. week. You know, Taylor isn't going to get a hitman out to take her down. I sometimes so. suspect that's maybe one of the reasons why Taylor does specifically avoids naming names in her stuff, even yeah. though she knows people speculate as to who it is. And she's famous enough that she can do whatever she likes, doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, like saying Ariana Grande is famous enough that she can say whatever she wants in her songs. But I think she's just aware that at some level it makes you sound pissier. Yeah. If you're if you're very big, that and you just go after anyway. The bigger you are, the the more people are going yeah. to seem like smaller fish than you. And if you start going after people it just makes you sound like a bit of an asshole yeah exactly <laughs> you know? at least whereas you leave it vague you get to give shit to them but not not have people go oh look at her making fun of someone who earns 10 million dollars a year less than she does for whatever. sure yeah you know? and I guess yeah. you're right with Taylor like doing a diss track or talking shit on people it sort of seems a bit I mean most people can go oh she broke up with that dude six months ago and this album's out those lyrics are probably about that guy so, yeah, you know, sort yes. of. Uh, you don't need to necessarily name <laughs> them one by one. Although you could if you wanted to. I'm not. Don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so worst video for me, definitely that. <laughs> I remember when it came out and seeing it, and just like going, "Fuck, this is so bad." So is the other team like a basketball team that? Oh, uh, they're just them? random dudes as well. But there's like the fat, like so. Sorry, the 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 girl that is uh, too big to what you would consider to be a professional basketball player, she, like, squeezes her tummy and then, like, a, a, a badly CGI'd basketball, like, pop out of her mouth and it's like, ah, no, and then <laughs> Katy Perry gets injected fuck? by, like, Kobe Bryant's sweat so then she can slam dunk all of a sudden, but okay. before that they're all awkward and stuff. And then the other team's just all, like, there's really buff, like wrestler dudes and whatever it's just so it's it sort of like... they've put there's so much effort being put into it for like yeah. literally zero comedic results so yeah which is quite bad it has yeah. a couple of famous people in there as the coaches as well there's the um there's the mum from um the other is it the other two you know oh uh, yeah. yeah that that's it oh uh, yeah. yes yeah yeah so she's one of the coaches and then the other coach is um uh a guy that you would have bill uh, murray yeah, no, no, an African American comedian guy that you would have oh, seen okay. in. Uh, anyway, he's been in a bunch of stuff. But so they're sort of, I feel bad for them because they're sort of on the sidelines trying to be the coaches, but they're given very little material to work with because the, well, the humor is so poor. A uh, millennial white dork, so it's quite possible she might have just got stoned and rewatched Space Jam and thought, <laughs> "Fuck it, we could do. Can we do Space Jam?" Yep. And then the record company's gone. You can't do the animation because it costs too much. You go, well, what about if we just did it with CGI? Like, can we do that? And they're like, all right, fine. Just, yep. <laughs> if you can yeah, I think in a sentence, you're right, Tom. If someone said, can you explain this in one sentence, it would be poor man's live action <laughs> space jam, I think. And that sort of sums it up. Mm. Um, or earbud. Or, or earbud, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. It's sort of, these sort of things, though, as, much, as bad as they are and cringy as they are, they do make me sort of feel a little bit depressed in the sense that people have, like, 
they've tried to there's nothing worse than trying to do something funny that falls flat I think mm. you know what I mean because yeah. if someone tries to do a dramatic piece and it fails and people end up laughing at it there is some sort of entertainment to be derived from that but yeah. comedy humorless comedy where you watch something and go oh they've spent so much time yeah. and effort doing this funny basketball thing but none of it's <laughs> like no one over the age of five I think my, my son was probably about two when it came out and I think he was just like what the fuck is this shit so I don't think um, yeah there's any anyone yeah. that could watch this and be like that's that's great so mm. I don't know anyway look dog if shit. you didn't watch Space Jam when you were 12 I hate to tell you it's not good no. if you were too young or too old it just sucks it's boring as fucking it's not funny basketball cartoon basketball jokes are not funny cartoons playing basketball is not a funny idea no. it's just the only basketball joke that's ever been funny um, in a film is in a double team with Dennis Rodman and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, where I believe someone says to Dennis Rodman's character, I'm going to put you on the bench permanently. And everyone laughs at that because he assumes that it's a pun that he's going to put him on the bench personally, i.e. kill him. Oh, but then you okay. realise that um, in the film, Dennis Rodman's character, I think, is a nuclear arms dealer or something like that. He's not even a basketball player. So it makes no sense <laughs> in the context of the script whatsoever. Sure. So that's what's funny about it, that it's mm. just fucking stupid. Mm. So, mm. hey, he's, in real life, he used to play basketball. Let's put heaps <laughs> of basketball puns in there. No, no, no. He's, he's playing a role now. He's a character. So... Mm. Good action scenes, though. <laughs> Great action Shuri scenes. Hark. Good action yeah, scenes. Yeah. He's the one who did, um, what is it, knock off as well. Oh, great action People, scenes. Yeah. Dennis Rodman should have quit there because I can tell you uh, when he teams up for, with Dane Cook in uh, Simon Says, <laughs> it's um, dog shit. So. People hadn't seen a team up that good until no. they uh, went to North Korea, I don't think. No, exactly. Dane Cook's another sort of, um, what the fuck happened there? How did that yeah. guy get any sort of gigs? But Anyway. Um, oh, yeah, uh, favourite song, yeah. pretty much down to that. I didn't do favourite album this that's, that's year, fine. I just did favourite song. Uh, live TV performances, generally, especially further back you go, used to be either sort of miming bullshit, you know, like Top of the Pops and Countdown, yep. or occasionally charming, badly produced messes like most late night TV act from 1960 to 1990. But with technology and uh, social media reliant artists coming into their own, the 2010s did showcase some people who understand the way Prince always did. That there's no such thing as small stages, mm. you know. Only small men in purple velvet willing to do 300 percent extra, even if it's on fucking Graham Norton or some shit. <laughs> my my runner-ups for that category would include uh, FKA Twigs doing the world's most melancholy pole dance uh, on Jimmy Kimmel for cellophane. Uh, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, Steve Winwood and Prince at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Awards serenading um, uh, George from the Beatles. Uh, Father John Misty doing Bored in the USA on Letterman and mm. Beyonce doing the Lemonade special for MTV and HBO. But yeah, performance aside, all of those things are also recorded to a level of sonic quality that wouldn't have been possible even 15 years ago, you know? <laughs> Certainly not in a TV studio, anyway. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm going to have to give it to my also my favourite song slash performance of the awards, which is Radiohead, The Daily Mail, uh, live on the Colbert Report. Ah. 
Uh, that's a little bit of a cheat because the Daily Mail is a track from 2005 or so, which was never released until 2011. It's not on any albums uh, and it's not on any B-sides, but they released it as a track from the King of Limbs live studio album. So it's not even on the actual album, yep. uh, which is a pity because it's better than anything on the King of Limbs. King of Limbs is probably my least favourite okay. radio hit album. Uh, on top of that, I'm exclusively talking about the live TV version they performed on the Colbert Report, which, yeah, I just love it. Um, it I don't know why. There's another one. There's like a live from Studio 20 or something, some UK version of it, which is great. It's a really good one. But just that that Colbert Report one is just magic in a lightning in a bottle. They just had the whole audience had just come there specifically to hear, see them. Yep. The host is a big fan of them. So they'd interview them beforehand. And there's this big build up of, I think King of Limbs had only just come out. So a lot of people probably hadn't heard it much yet. And there was this big build up to what were they going to play first? And yep. then they just bust out this song that no one's ever heard. And that's not on the fucking album. Oh, yeah. So like it's a it's a genuinely new song and better than anything on the album. But yeah, have you seen that one? I haven't. No, oh, man, it's fucking incredible. It's really good. I love the song too. The song on its it's on its own is amazing. It doesn't have verses or choruses or a solo or anything. But somehow, like, there's a dozen musicians all doing something fascinating at some point in the song without seeming excessive at all. And it's like they've sort of just distilled a rock song down to its kind of short, perfect essence of like art, a bit of outrage, originality with familiarity, like the structure of it. It's sort of quiet, loud, climax and the sort of denouement thing. And it still manages to rock out somehow. Like it's still got, you know, distortion pedals and, you know, a bit of actual anger and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, any highlights for you for like uh, TV performances oh. or live performance stuff in the 2010s? Jeepers, so many, Tom, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does seg into my, uh, I was just going to have a subcategory, uh, which is my worst live TV performances slash douche chills uh, okay. subcategory. <laughs> I know you're a big fan of Robin Thicke and Miley Cyrus. <laughs> yeah their tasteful love duet at the 2013 MTV Awards. And who doesn't like Kesha doing glow-in-the-dark, pissed, off-key blackface on SNL? (laughs) Uh, My personal favourite, though, is definitely James Hetfield doing a rock duet with Lady Gaga in 2017 at the Grammys. (laughs) Have you seen that? (laughs) It's Metallica. Uh, It all starts well, and by well I mean shithouse, because (laughs) it's the band who wrote Master of Puppets doing a duet with Lady Gaga at an awards ceremony for toothless dad rock and ex-strippers turned video thoughts. (laughs) Uh, Whoever does the audio for late night TV should get a job on the Grammys, because this recording sounds worse than the audio from 1989. 28 years ago when the Grammys first recognised heavy metal in any form by having Metallica on to perform one. Oh, really? Have you seen that one? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, introduced by Billy Crystal, all members of the band aged 25 or so and still wearing their Ride the Lightning denim battle jackets. (laughs) They start out a bit nervous and then after about half the songs seem to sort of realise that the audience just isn't particularly into it. And there's a point where you can see Hetfield just go sort of fuck him to the rest of the band and sort of turn his back on the stage and then they just sort of headbang it out in a circle for the kids at home watching on TV 
Uh, 28 years later, on stage, uh, Lady Gaga jumps around a bit in a cut-rate Cindy Lauper outfit, <laughs> starts singing for a bit first about some nonsense they wrote last week, and then it goes to James Hetfield for his part, except his mic isn't working. So, yeah, he just mouths into a mic. Before and <laughs> behind him are four backup dancers sort of awkwardly boogalooing in a weird parody of what headbanging might look like if you're a gay <laughs> boomer who choreographed Dick Tracy. I swear to God, one chick is doing the fucking Watusi, Ben. I swear to God. <laughs> Look, all of this, frankly, serves Hetfield right at this point. And I hope that evening, you know, he drove home a little sad, perhaps a little thoughtful, a little contemplative in his Tarago stuffed from axle to roof with cash. Because, you know, they've come a long way in 28 years and, you know, it hasn't been uphill what was it an original song? Was with a was it a Metallica song that Lady Gaga was singing, or was it? Um... Yeah, no, it was a Metallica, and uh, the performance is mostly him and her. Yeah, but it's um, it, it's yeah, a moth to a flame. It's oh, called, which I've never fucking heard. It's off one of their shitty new albums. Yeah, okay, yeah. But that's what the 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 difference between watching them fucking in 89 doing one on stage in front of an audience who couldn't give a fuck about yeah, them yeah, yeah. and 28 years later doing some song no one gives a shit about with Lady Gaga in front of this giant flaming complicated stage set up and backup dancers in front of an audience who are cheering them on and shit you know but it sucks it's, <laughs> it's balls <laughs> and when his mic doesn't work you're just like well this is just the turd icing on the dog shit cake at this point <laughs> yeah. that's ridiculous it is funny though how um, sort of in the 80s even then sort of at the end of the 80s thrash was like yes ah like yeah, the, as from a mainstream thing, it was like ah, oh, but now Metallica can get up and play even anywhere. And glam like, yeah. metal was a bit edgy, like yeah. even you know, yeah. yeah, like having they wouldn't have had Guns and Roses on stage at the Grammys. They would have been too. This yeah. is too edgy, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's sort of, but I wonder if things will soft, you know. So obviously, you've got Thrash. They're on TV in '88. People are like, oh no, this is not for yeah. me. Twenty years later, it's okay. So does does that mean other genres of music that are a bit more extreme than that will soften over time? So, oh, hundred percent. So you know, Cannibal Corpse will be at the, you know at the MTV Music Awards next week. They'll be at the Grammys as well mm-hmm. or the Oscars. They'll be you know get up there and just do an I Come Blood you know for the fans up there. So hey man, hopefully. they fucking shit that used to be edgy. They used fucking hardcore techno is the background in TV commercials yeah that's true you go to fucking diners and they're playing gangster rap in the backgrounds there's kids eating hot dogs you know little Kim's talking about sticking a brick up her pussy or whatever you know everything everything softens over time yeah that's right that's right only a matter of time before we ought to get intense hammer age t-shirts at Kmart I gather that's right next to those Whitney Houston ones oh this is that cattle decapitation (laughs) for sure yeah Yeah. I think um, I think I, I I can't remember the exact year, but I do remember, um, sorry, in terms of worst TV performances, I do believe that um, there was like a, it was probably about five or six, five or so years ago, um, there was like one of those New Year's Eve performances, I think in New York, oh, Mariah okay. Carey did one, and she had to, <laughs> yes. and she was miming, I, that one? I saw I a video that of that yeah. researching it, yeah, and oh, her okay. voice, I think her voice is just cutting out, yeah. like not the mic, but I think she, it sounds like she's just lost... 
part of her voice. Well, that, I yeah. think I think what happened. I think it good. was a backing track. I think she was miming. Oh, I think I remember and that. It was going it came in out and, and she was like doing that. So the backing track was going like, and she was like trying to do it, and it was like just yeah. looked fucking terrible. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's sort of. If you go and see Mariah Carey live, you probably expect her to be really singing. But when it's like, yeah. oh, it's a New Year's Eve fucking, yes, exactly. you know, New York, it's in Times Square at something. It's like, she's probably just trying to get through it and just like, you I, know. Like I said, I watched a couple of compilations of like musicians having yeah. trouble live things, looking for this. Not live TV, but just live in general. And they sort of split into two camps. There's uh, people being revealed to not be able to sing very well. Yep. There, were, there was a whole bunch of them featuring Camilla Cabello, who oh, we, who we yeah, had yeah. in the last oh, five she years a couple of times. She? Yeah, she's just all over the place. She's just flat and sharp and blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, and there's quite a few uh, hip-hop people trying to do some freestyling or just forgetting the words and just doing a bit of mumble <laughs> unintentional mumble rap yeah. post Malone style but then on the other hand there's ones like the Mariah Carey one and there's like there's a there was a Sia one and there's a few other ones where it's either someone's like fucked their voice from doing too many shows in a row or they're not well or something yeah. or like that like some technical thing where it just you know, it just makes them look bad, but it's, you know, it's probably nothing they can really help with. Yeah. It's just super embarrassing. Or like <laughs> that guy in the fucking Drake show who just gets up to drop the first syllable of his mad verse and just steps directly into a trap door in front of him on the stage. <laughs> That's true. And just vanishes yeah. from view with a squeak of auto-tune, you know. I'm yeah. sure that dope rhyme was going to be awesome that he was about to drop, but it's not really his fault. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly right. Too much. That, you learnt that with heavy metal a long time ago. Don't stand near the flash pots and don't cover the entire floor with a two-foot-high layer of solid dry ice oh, exactly. where you're going to fucking trip yeah. over on something. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, certainly, um, while not uh, a TV performance, Tom, I dare say that um, in terms of live footage from the 2010s, it can't get any worse than uh, the current incarnation of Motley Crue. So oh, yes, I probably... heard real bad things. So, They're touring with Def Leppard right now. Yeah, but if you go back even to the 2010s, I think that's when they entered their period of we're signing this uh, contract. Yes, that means we can never perform it. Cessation of touring. We're doing this. We're doing this final (laughs) tour. We've signed this thing legally. We'll never be able to perform again. And people went, "That's not legally binding." And it turns out it wasn't because they're touring again now and have been done for the past few years. But um, yeah, if anyone's heard Motley Crue during the 2010s or, or currently, Vince Neil sounds absolutely terrible, like to mm. the point that he should just hang it up. Like, surely he has enough money now. Like, it's just <laughs> embarrassed. You must be yeah. embarrassed to go out and just be like, going, yeah. like, it's, it's appallingly. And bad. I mean, like, presumably that whole cessation of touring contract charade was a way for them to get one giant last final payday yeah exactly like why I mean how much more money do you fucking need they also would have got a massive payday for after that the fucking HBO series about their life based on the book and then the fucking Pam and Tommy thing even though that was unofficial but I bet you they still had to give them heaps of money to use the music and the clearances and shit like that Man, fucking! I know. I think, I think people need to be a little bit more. Um, you got to do a little bit of research. I think if you're going to go and see something, that's you, you got to look at it and say, okay, a, um, 
is it the you know it doesn't have to be the entire original lineup but is it you know a majority of people from from a musical group or is it just like you know one dude and then his mates or some other bullshit dudes two um what are people saying about their current ability to perform yeah. live <laughs> three what's the price point because yeah. if you look at that and go okay yeah look it's most of the original dudes people are saying that they sound really really good and it's an okay amount of money sure maybe i'll go and check out motley crew in 2016 when people are saying oh um the guitarist is retired we've got some <laughs> random dude in yeah. by the way um tommy lee has broken his ribs so he comes in and plays like one yeah. song and they get some other dude in vince neal sounds like fucking garbage yeah and yeah so and I then when people are talking about just going it doesn't sound good at all and it's really expensive you might want to look at that yeah. and go I didn't see them in 86, probably missed my time, I'll sit this one out. I think a lot of the time these guys legit are relying on the fact that if they haven't done anything for five to ten years, then, um, and they they come up, they'll start, I mean, these days, you, you, we live in Melbourne these days, you know, for some shit they'll sell tickets a year and a half early, yep. you know, for some things, if it's, if it's Seinfeld or Ed Sheeran or something. And so... You know, like, if you want to get a ticket, you're going to have to buy one long before the reviews have started Correct, coming yeah. in. So that I'm pretty sure they'd be just crossing their fingers and hoping they sell out before the first show goes on and then people could... Like you were saying, I was just reading a review of that new tour of um, uh, Def Leppard and oh, yeah. Motley Crue in the UK. It's a little bit skewed because Def Leppard are from the UK and Motley Crue aren't. Yep. So they have the hometown advantage. But they were saying, like, Def Leppard, is, they're still a band. Like, yep. it's the same musicians. They're all pl- playing music to a high extent and they do all the greatest hits. Whereas Motley Crue, like, it's, you know, they've got all these ring-ins helping them. The songs sound like shit. The guy can't really sing. They're sort of relying on all this effect stuff to try and sort of gloss over the yep. gaping holes where the shit used to be. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. If you At that point, you're just like, if you're going to say you've seen them, that's one thing, but, like, yeah. if you're actually hoping to get to oh, hear the songs played... Oh, cool, when was it, 86? Yeah. No, 2023. <laughs> I was like, oh, well. Yeah. It seems like a very poor decision in these recessionary times. So, I don't I'm know. glad I got to see Phil Anselmo and the... What are they? The Destroyers. Illegals. The Illegals yeah. doing a bunch of what's essentially Pantera covers. <laughs> yeah. Presaged by, uh, <laughs> presaged by Phil going on stage and doing a vaguely teary sounding complain rant about how people on Twitter were being mean about him just because he hangs out with Nazis and does the Nazi salute sometimes. <laughs> and But still, it was still, you know, it was like, well, at least I got to see, see Phil seeing fucking I'm broken, you know, before I die. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. And you're probably and significantly cheaper than uh, with this reformed Pantera yes. that's <laughs> like one... Random dude. Yeah, I don't yeah, think Pantera, if they were still around, would be playing the Max Watts on a Thursday night. You know? <laughs> no, I don't dare say not. $5 beers. Exactly. Exactly. All right, you got anything else? No, that's it for me, cool. man. Um, I've just got, uh, real quick before we finish, Artist of the Decade for me, Tom. Um, Will I am for you, I think, in terms of your artist of the oh, decade. Oh, 100%. In terms of yeah. My artist He's of the decade. The ever, um, look, I'm going, I'm going homegrown talent. Tom, mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, I'm going into New South Wales. I'm going to uh, where am I going to? Murrumbimby. I believe I am going to Murrumbimby. Is that where Tones and I from? 
Iggy Azalea. Oh, okay. yes. Wow. Australia's little, finest rapper. That's right. Our best export. Absolutely, Tom. Look, um, what a 10-year stretch for Australia's... I'm, I'm going to say Australia's best rapper since Raid. So... <laughs> She's really gone places. She, um, for those that don't know the Iggy Azalea story, she's from Murrumbimby. She moved to the US of A when she was 16. Yes. I believe she said to her mum she was going for a, a week's holiday and just never came back because yeah. no parent would let your fucking child at the age of 16 no. move to America to pursue a rap career. Um, and I use rap in inverted commas because... Asks um, a few questions. Yeah, it, it does. Absolutely. So look, uh, took her a few years to get into the swing of things, but she had a, her biggest hit um, with Fancy, which yep. you may recall. Her first and biggest her, her hit. First featuring and biggest Charlie XCX. Yep. Charlie XCX showed up on that one. Um, and then she featured on our old pal um, Small Japanese Barbecue Grills debut single, <laughs> uh, Problems. You may yep. recall that. She did that. So she did at a that song point, J Lo too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But originally off the bat, so her first single, um, Fancy. Fancy. Number one Billboard Huge Hot 100. Yeah. Uh, the week later, Ariana Grande dropped her debut single, Problems, with Iggy Azalea featuring number two on oh, the Billboard wow. charts. So she had one and two simultaneously. She was the first artist to have their first two singles charting at number one and two on the Hot 100 Billboard since the Beatles. Wow. So I know earlier in the episode, <laughs> Tom, I said that um, you know, lad baby. I, I know I said he's the new Beatles. I'm going to have to knock that down and sorry, say Iggy Azalea is the new Beatles. Clearly she is. She broke that Billboard record. First two songs, one and two on mm-hmm. the charts, which is fantastic. So she had a good start. She had a good start yeah, in her career. Promising. I think the problem with that um, was that she'd reached the summit of Everest and there's nowhere else to go mm. you're at the really height the only way you can do is come down that's right um, and it's fair to say that she did her second album was scrapped completely due to I dare say it being complete dog shit <laughs> and then she had a bit of a dispute with the record label mm. and that didn't happen but fast forward a few years and she was finally able to get the second album out and uh, <laughs> what's really great about Iggy Azalea is that she did have those big hits at the start and then she was able to finish the decade with the holy trinity of Mo Bounce in 2017 probably the worst song of that year by some margin <laughs> called Mo, Mo Bounce Mo Bounce in the motherfucking house Mo Bounce in the motherfucking house it's just that over and over with her twerking yeah. now back in 2014 Iggy Azalea claimed that she invented twerking so um, maybe a little bit misguided if anyone's gone back and watched um, to bring them up again, two live crews <laughs> pop that coochie video. Yeah, There's sure. clearly twerking in that, and that came out in about 1992. Mm-hmm. So Mo Bounce in 2017. She followed it up in 2018 with Cream, which is um, in it sampled uh, the Wu Tang Clan song Cream. God, cash rules everything around me. And then she took that and butchered it to the point of it being just fucking woeful. Yeah. Um, and then in 2019, she followed it up with Sally Walker, which is like an American um, like kids nursery rhyme type thing. Oh, okay. So she just used a nursery rhyme <laughs> and turned that into another oh, absolute God. piece of shit. Doesn't so that always work well? It's, it's a pretty remarkable feat, I think. 
think to have the worst song of the year or arguably at least at least in the conversation of worst yeah. song of the year three years in a row which is absolutely amazing yeah, it's um, weird for a bit there it was it looked like she was going to be another Nicki Minaj or yeah. another at least another Kim Kardashian in that she had a big <laughs> button was going out with a basketball player and had a yeah. loose connection to you know cultural appropriation you know not oh, that I would yeah. you know make any suggestions in that area but yeah it's sort of I mean, she's still doing stuff. I think she off those prob off they probably those first two hits. She probably generated enough. To, well, you know, absolutely. After following the last decade with three absolute shitters, she kept the game going in the next decade with uh, her two thousand and twenty one single "I Am the Strip Club." Tom, um, I so am she's the strip I am the strip club. Okay. So she's trying to sort of <laughs> you know cash in a little bit of that Cardi B. Yeah. Except Cardi B actually was a, a stripper, yes. I think. So she's trying to do that, which is ridiculous. And what's great about that song, um, you know, it's terrible, but that's taken as read at this point. What sets this track apart is the fact that she's using a shade of foundation, Tom, <laughs> that resulted in people leveling the accusation that she was in blackface. Mm, um, and when you look at it, uh, they wouldn't be wrong. She looks African-American in that oh, music yeah, video due too. to some pretty sketchy stuff. And she, she just said, like, yo, I've always been wearing this foundation shade. Leave me alone. But that is blatantly untrue because yeah. um, she isn't black. But in that music video, she looks black, which is a ridiculous thing for her to say. So oh, that's not good. Yeah, terrible she's... decade work. She's come out a lot of the times. People have talked about, you know, her culturally appropriation. They've talked about some of the controversial things she's done, but she's sort of water off a duck's back for, for Iggy because she's quite proud to talk about what a successful artist she is, how she's done all these great things and how, you know what, she came from, you know, a bit of a poor background so it's okay that she's able to sort of just yeah. ape hip hop culture rip everything off and keep it going I so did, I saw her in it I saw her in a YouTube thing once with her doing a sort of a longer interview with a like a comedian so I, that sort of pressure was off so she wasn't doing like hip hop isms or anything they were just fucking around and fucking I don't know unboxing matchbox cars or whatever people do in comedy videos these days but she seemed quite sort of down-to-earth and approachable. Mm. But maybe that might just be her inherent Australianness. when you put them next to an American. They always seem kind of down-to-earth. Like, all Australian actors on talk shows always just seem kind of friendly and approachable yeah. by comparison to sort of... Plus, also, a lot of the things I read in interviews, maybe that's just hip-hop bravado. Maybe you need to do that. You need to talk about how great you are and how much money you make. Oh, how absolutely. Awesome you are. And then you once do. you strip it's, that back... Yeah. And also, the interesting thing about her is that she raps in that... Yeah, I'm, a, yeah, I'm from Atlanta. No. But then when she talks, she still has that yes. typical Australian That's accent. That's the thing. So it's, maybe when you hear her talk, it's a little bit more... Yeah. Calms yes. the whole thing down and you, you sort of go, oh, you know, I've got a bit more but, of an yeah. understanding of what she's it saying. It does also... She's a bit more relatable, yes. when, whereas when she's rapping, it's like she uses oh, no. just the fake. When people talk going. normally, then it, it makes them sound relatable, but then it also highlights, you know, what they're doing in their music, which in this case, as you say, is what I believe they now call a black scent. Or what we've talked about, the difference before between doing an accent and doing a voice, yeah. which is just impersonating Cardi B, is not doing an American accent, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when I first uh, heard her talk, I'm like, who's that? And I was like, oh, shit. It's, she still yeah. has that 
Because when she certainly raps, you wouldn't know it. The so. irony is that Australian hip hop, like Hermitude, who you mentioned a while back, yeah. they sort of about fifteen to twenty years ago, they kind of stopped doing American accents. Most Australian hip hop now is mostly in Australian accents mm. because they gradually, because hip hop is obsessed with authenticity. I think gradually they realised that you can't pretend to be authentic if you're doing a fake American oh, accent. Of <laughs> course. If you're trying to course. actually keep it real, you've got to use your own voice. Even though Australian accents sound fucking terrible in hip hop, but you know what are you going to do? Yeah, look, that's that's you've got to the play pro- your strengths. It is the problem, isn't it? Because she uses this fake as shit accent, but you're right to just rap. In an Australian accent is probably worse, so I guess she's, <laughs> she's made the right decision in hindsight. But look, so she's my artist of the decade. I just want to wrap it all up by saying she had the last laugh. She was able to sell her music catalogue uh, in 2022 for, um, although they didn't reveal the exact amount, it was f- for an eight-figure sum. Wow. So she's made 10 mil at least. Uh, That's $5 million her... dollars per hit. So <laughs> exactly right. It's not bad. Um, uh, yeah, as I was going to say... Um, that is insane, as you rightfully said, Tom, because yeah. she's made at least $10 million, possibly more of her back catalogue, which involves, what, Fancy, and there's seven songwriters on that track. So <laughs> yeah. her share is one seventh, seventh yes. of, of that song. Um, and then the other one with... Uh, you know, Ariana Grande, where she probably is a co-wrote. So, yeah. So, someone's paid $10 million for part of two songs. Record executives still making the same quality soothsaying predictions that they were making back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, signing people forever. to 10-album deals the minute that they stop being popular. Yeah, the... definitely. The next time, you know, maybe next week I'll be chowing down on a zinger and turn on the TV <laughs> and there'll be a KFC out of just going, I'm so fancy. I'm like, fuck, I was wrong. They were right. But it, I, I find it very difficult to assume that someone's going to recoup their $10 million That's what I mean. investment in an Iggy Azalea I'm, I'm sure you'd get, you'd get a royalty check from I'm So Fancy every year for the next 50 years. And it'll always it'll show up in unimaginative news reports and cartoons and movies for kids and stuff. But, but it's not... $10 million worth no, of that? No, no. No way. I mean, I guess if someone's like, if we own this for a billion years, maybe we can get the money back. But, yeah. I mean, it's hardly the biggest... You know, it's not like it's Billie Jean or some shit. Where it's no, the, you know, no, where you're going to earn a living wage off it every year for yeah. the rest of your life. So anyway, congratulations to Iggy for um, <laughs> being Australian. Yep. Kicking it off with a hit. Really riding that into the ground with some of the worst music of the decade, um, and then wrapping it all up by being able to sell your complete catalogue for <laughs> a significant sum of money, despite the fact that it seems that it's a poor business decision in anyone's model. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. I guess that's how investing works, isn't it? You sort of go, well, I'm going to buy something for X amount today, in the assumption that it'll be worth as higher money mm. than that in the future or I'm going to get a revenue stream off this for a period of time that will recoup that initial <laughs> investment. But I can't see any of those things happening. No, here. frankly. No, she doesn't even seem that particularly invested in making more music. No, now. no. And to make anything quite weird, she also said uh, there was a quote when she sold the thing saying, this is about... Um, I've mu- you, I, I, wouldn't under- I don't think any of you would understand how things like masters... <laughs> work or something like that basically saying (laughs) you don't understand business decisions like selling masters so talking down as well at an audience is like they wouldn't understand the complex 
ideas of owning the you know the rights to something and then selling those rights so anyway look she is the strip club who am I to argue Tom yeah true oh I reckon she'll be fine she's fucking 32 years old and hot and got a kid and yeah she'll she'll be okay she'll be be turning around on the chairs and the fucking voice in 10 years time oh no doubt no doubt exactly so good to see um, alright Tom that's all I've got you got anything else no no that's it that was a you know it's a, it was a weird decade it was a weird decade <laughs> um, not a lot that I recall from popular music that I'm, I think is going to carry forward for me no not, not a lot I'm going to be revisiting from the decade I mean you say that but sometimes yeah. things do have an effect that you're not you haven't noticed at the time I mean for instance you probably haven't even noticed right now but if you look down we both Sitting in Miami wearing white yeah, mesh sleeveless absolutely. vests. I mean, you know, absolutely right. I didn't intend to do that, but yeah. Oh, for sure. Look, you're right. I'll probably be re- revisiting some of those flow rider hits, I think. So <laughs> they, they right. sort of stand the test of time, I that's think. Right. So for sure. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those songs are. I mean, when Flow Rider sells his catalogue, he's going to be getting. <laughs> If Iggy sure. Azalea can get 10 mil, he, he's probably looking at 100 mil, yeah. I reckon. So <laughs> At least. At very least. So <laughs> good luck to him. All right. Well, thanks for listening. That's the 2010 Decade Wrap. We'll be back next time with 2020. Um, we've only got a couple more years until we hit present day. That's so true. Absolutely. Excited for that. Um, and that's great. Next year, 2020, can't be worse than what we have this decade. There's probably going to be some more Ed Sheeran, though, probably, God I assume. Some other bullshit like that. Um, but look, we can only wait and see. Hopefully it'll be a good one in terms of quality music that we can digest and then, you know, look at constructively and have some more positive things to say. Because I feel like this episode I've been very negative, <laughs> but that's that's because, you know, I, I'm only commenting on what I've been No, no, time. I think looking back to what you said at the start, I, I think I have to agree. Of the, of the four raps we've done... For the decade, this was probably the hardest one to find. Even just interesting shit to talk about, let alone quality music to talk well, about. Well, the music's terrible and the performers are boring. I think that's the other problem as well. On you know, the like charts, no one, certainly. They don't in, really in, do in anything. In the mainstream pop arena, yeah. Because everyone's too concerned about you know, yeah. doing the wrong thing and oh, I, yes. don't, I don't want to annoy anyone so I'm just going to say nothing. People have become intensely aware of image in a way that people used to talk about in the 80s and shit but nowadays it's reached this kind of hyper-focused area that's hard to even describe, you know, like, yeah, anyway. Hopefully anyway, we'll have some, some young, no, I'm younger sure 2020 will up. be the start of a new revolution in music and I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, I hope it features Sam Smith, Tom. <laughs> All right, farewell. See ya.